Big Dumb Movie is a comedic podcast that often contains obscene language and outlandish commentary. Listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to Big Dumb Movie. Are you ready for pain? Are you ready for suffering? If the answer is yes, then you're ready for Captain Freedom's podcast. I'm your host, Corey, and I'm joined today with Jonathan. Hey. And Steve. Please, call me Snake. Oh, wait, wrong movie. Sorry. <laughs> How you guys doing today? I'm good. I'm always good. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, not really, but I'm, I'm, at the moment, I'm good. <laughs> no waves of depression today? No, no. The, the deep, normally uh, suicidal feelings are not with me at the moment, so it's fine. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> now we can have an upbeat and happy podcast about The Running Man, a 1987 movie directed by Starsky. Starsky. <laughs> and Hutch? Yes. Well, Hutch wasn't there. Oh, okay. But Paul Michael Glazer is the director of this movie. He played Starsky in the old Starsky and Hutch, not Ben Stiller, you know, the original. (laughs) To talk about The Running Man, we got to talk about a guy called Richard Bachman. Who is that, Steve? Richard Bachman. Richard Bachman is Stephen King's pen name. Uh, He started writing under the name Richard Bachman, I think, during the late 70s, and did not originally intend for anyone to know that he was Bachman, at least not not early on. He may have decided at some point to reveal it, but uh, during writing one of the books under that name, he, he it got leaked to the press and everyone found out. But uh, he wrote The Running Man under the name Richard Bachman. And when, uh, when the producer, Rob Cohen, bought the rights to produce the story, he actually had no idea that Bachman was king. He didn't find out until after he'd already paid for it. It didn't affect his decision, but he didn't know he was buying the Stephen King story. Uh, although what they ended up with is really nothing like the book. Yeah, yeah. And I think we'll cover that a little bit yeah. uh, in a few minutes here. But yeah, so this is a Stephen King story, essentially, under the name Richard Bachman, right. fake name, just like you said. So I guess real quick, and I don't think we've done this yet, except for the Pet Cemetery 2 episode, which was Lost. Right. Uh, oh, st- God, I forgot that got lost. Still breaks my heart to this day. Yeah, uh, but Stephen King. Jonathan, are you a fan of Stephen King books or movies? Well, I don't know if our uh, listeners can tell, but I'm not much of a reader these <laughs> days. <laughs> I can read. I just don't have a <laughs> lot of time record. to yeah, read. For the record, I'm yeah. literate. <laughs> <laughs> I went to uh, Zoolander's uh, school for kids who don't read good. Yeah, that's how you learned. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but if I were to pick a couple of his movies... Probably the ones that stand out the most are going to be like Shawshank Redemption and Green Mile for me. Just a lot of fond memories. Watched them a ton of times. Big prison movie guy. I do. Do (laughs) like prison movies. Yeah. They can be good. Shawshank Redemption is well regarded as one of the all time greats in general. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a good one. Um, I mean, they both have star studded cast too. I mean, it was really well, well produced films. Absolutely. Uh, For me, I'm, in terms of Stephen King books, I do like it, but it mm. tends to go on these uh, cocaine fueled like <laughs> tangents that just go on and on and on about characters that are basically irrelevant to the story. Right. So that book is a little bit too long, and yeah, the the cocaine is just like all over the pages when you're reading it. You know, it's it's there. Uh, but in terms of ones that I like a lot, I'm going to say my favorite is probably Pet Cemetery for both the book and the movie. Both really good. Yeah. A pretty faithful movie, I think, for the most part. And, you know, every time there's a movie made of any book, it's changed drastically. But that seems to be especially prevalent for Stephen King adaptations, I think. Yeah. Maybe it's just because he has so many of them. But what about you, Steve? 
Yeah, Pet Cemetery is always one of my favorites. Uh, the no- novel that this was adapted from is real high on my list. Uh, the story Shawshank Redemption was adapted from and um, The Shining were probably my most favorites. It's not to say I don't like the others, but I think those were probably my absolute most favorites of his. You're talking books. Yeah, yeah, okay. the book. And then in terms of movies, like, yeah, this this is a fun movie. I enjoyed it. We'll talk about it. But it's it's really nothing like the source material. Shawshank Redemption is a very, very good movie. Um, little bit got changed, but still real. That's one of my favorite films. It's a great film. And uh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think most of his movies tend to be outside the scope of my interest, like like thinner, you know, those ones. Like, like Christy, I understand what people, or Christine, the one about the car, like I understand what people get it. Cujo, those ones never really appealed to me that much. Man, I love thinner. Thinner is ridiculous. <laughs> it is. Thinner's chaos. It is. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking about Thinner uh, the other day when I was watching this because, you know, I was thinking about Stephen King adaptations and that movie is just so fucking crazy. I want to do a podcast on it. Yeah, I'll do that. I think Jonathan has to be there for that because it has his favorite actor, Joe Montana. <laughs> oh, yes. I'm way in. <laughs> the actor who helped ruin Godfather Part 3. Absolutely. I thought that was all, uh, what's her name? That was like 80% her, but the other 20% was a mix of a, a messed up script and Joe Montaigne's stupid character. Well, and uh, the actor that played Michael's nephew in that one, that was not a good character. There's a lot of messed up stuff in there. But yeah, Sofia Coppola is definitely responsible for a lot of it. <laughs> Do you say good director, bad actor? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, you know, that movie, it's not a complete mess. There are parts of it that are really, really good. But yeah, yeah, definitely good director, but messed up script and some bad casting choices. Steve, well, hmm. Maximum Overdrive? <laughs> I always forget about that one. I used to like watching that on TV when I was like 12, 13 years old. I don't, I don't know that I'd want to sit through it again now. <laughs> Is that, which one was the one with the truckers and the one guy's got like the goblin face on the front of his truck? That's the one. That's the one? Yeah. Okay, yeah. It's yeah, the Green yeah. Goblin, sir. Yeah, exactly. It is. I was going to say, I think it's the old school Green Goblin. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I do like that part. <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh, well, we have a podcast on that at Spoilers, actually. It's just an insane fucking... I, I was going to say train wreck, but it's a truck wreck. Can we do Tremors? We're not even talking about the movie this is episode's about, but can we do Tremors? I want to do Tremors. Tremors is good. Yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. For right? sure. All right. <laughs> but let's talk about The Running Man. Yeah. Steve. Yeah. How the hell was this movie made? Um, Cohen optioned the rights for it at some point in the, the mid-80s. I think just a couple of years after it had been written. I don't know exactly. Um, Who's Cohen? Rob Cohen. Rob Cohen is a, a producer. He's also a writer and a director. I guess I said he did not know at the point he bought the rights to the story that it had been written by King. He he also produced a few other things. But the other highlight for me, aside from, from this, is an 80s movie called Monster Squad. Classic. Yes, I really like that movie, sincerely. It's a classic. He also did one during the late 80s with Michelle Pfeiffer and another big cast uh, called The Witches of Eastwick. It's not a classic, but it was a popular movie when it came out. He also produced Triple X State of the Union, um, which is not not great. That's the one with Ice Cube. Yeah. And then he directed some stuff, too. He, I, I'm only picking out like isolated things I thought were worth mentioning, but he directed Dragonheart, which I do like. Yes. Um, he also directed, though, Daylight with Sylvester Stallone, The Skulls, um, which is about, like, preppy frat kids. Um, he, he directed the original Fast and the Furious, the first Triple X, The Mummy, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, and Stealth about the planes. So he's got a pretty pretty mixed career. <laughs> right. I mean, Stephen E. D'Souza was involved in this, and he's also yeah. famous for some things that might be considered bad, like the Street Fighter movie. Jonathan right. and I did a podcast on that. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, so uh, Rob Cohen did not direct this, but he did produce this. He bought the rights to the novel a couple years after it was written with the intention of turning it into a movie. He also got some funding. I think this is just a funny footnote from a, a producer named George Linder. Linder owned a wheelchair company called Quadra Wheelchairs. It was based pretty locally to where we're recording this podcast in a suburb called Westlake Village. And he sold his wheelchair company so that he could partially finance the production of this movie. He's not a big producer otherwise, but I like that that story. There's some mixed rumors about how the director came on. Michael Glazer has said in an interview that he was offered the director's job for this weeks or months before he end, actually ended up on the movie. But um, there are also rumors that Cohen considered at least four other directors, um, including George P. Cosmotis. Cosmotis, I can never say his last name properly, uh, but he directed uh, uh, the first two Rambo movies. The first Rambo movie is actually a good movie. When he came on to potentially direct the film, he told Cohen that he wanted to relocate the entire film to the inside of a shopping mall, and and Cohen didn't like that, so he fired him. He was really pushing for it then. Yeah, he was re- he was basically like, I'm, I don't even want to do the movie if I can't do this with it. So they 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 binned him. He uh, he then hired on some other people, uh, Ferdinand Fairfax. I don't even know what else he worked on. He's not a director I'm real familiar with. So they're blah, blah, blah. They ended up ended up initially hiring a guy named Andrew Davis. Davis stuck with them long enough to get the film started. He's he's done some other directorial work. He, he ended up working with Schwarzenegger a lot. Um, he did collateral damage and some other stuff. He also, I think, directed Under Siege, The Fugitive, and um, the movie Holes with Shia LaBeouf. But... Um, so they hire Andrew Davis, and he comes on, and I don't know what the fuck happens, but by the time they're two weeks through production of this movie, they're a week behind shooting schedule and $8 million over budget. Took two weeks for that to happen. I don't know how you do that. It's, it's, it's the weirdest fucking thing I've ever heard. They must have started with their biggest set pieces. Yeah, or something like that. It's because they were giving out too many running game home editions. <laughs> right? <laughs> So Cohen and, and the other people involved got so pissed off that they ended up firing Davis and going back to Glazer, who, like you said, had originally been Starsky on the original Starsky and Hutch TV show. And somehow they managed to convince him to take take the project. Schwarzenegger was not happy about it. Schwarzenegger has said multiple times over the years that he felt that Glazer directed the movie like a 1980s television episode. And in some ways I can sort of see it, although I don't dislike the movie. But Schwarzenegger thought that um, that Davis was going to do a better job of the story. And um, anyway, after that, there's there's nothing really much notable about the production. They finished the movie with Glazer as director. It was originally supposed to come out, uh, I know this much, in July of 87. They ended up deciding to move it back four months because um, July of 87 Predator was coming out. And they didn't want to release two Schwarzenegger movies in the same month. Are you sure it wasn't they didn't want to do two Jesse Ventura movies? Mm-hmm. The well, same yeah, one? That's also part of the weird part of this, right, is that two movies with Schwarzenegger and Ventura in them would, would both come out that close to each other. But you're right, it was it was a combination of both things. What a year for action movies. <laughs> right, absolutely. I mean, 87 was a big year. It, it ended up coming out Veterans Day weekend. And to your point, the next month or, yeah, the next month in December... Uh, Batteries Not Included, Overboard, Throw Mama from the Train, Wall Street, Empire of the Sun, Good Morning Vietnam, and Broadcast News all came out, and several of those were nominated for Academy Awards. 
So Battery's yeah, not included one best picture that year, I believe. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Um, but In our uh, hearts, though, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's a fun movie, you know. But um, but yeah. So the, otherwise, not a whole lot I know about the production. But that's that's basically how it how it went at least to begin with. Okay, I have a couple casting choices that were considered oh, before yeah. production. So this is like during the pre-production phase for Arnold Schwarzenegger's role of Ben Richards. One of them, Patrick Swayze. Yeah. No. That would have been terrible. Another one, Dolph Lundgren. That would have maybe been been okay. I don't, I don't, I mean, I'm not saying I'm sure it would have been good, but I mean, Lundgren's not a bad stand-in for Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Uh, the third, Christopher Reeve. Yeah, I've heard that one also. I, I don't know. I don't have anything against him as an actor, but he doesn't seem like the right choice for this. Right. Anyway, I just thought that was interesting. This movie did have a pretty nice budget. It was close to $30 million. Right. The box office, I found conflicting information online. Uh, Box Office Mojo says it was a $38 million box office, which would be considered a failure. Not that much money made. Uh, Another source I saw said it made $80 million. I don't know if that's considered all the money it's made over the years and everything, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I think the the box office revenue would have been... In 87. So, I mean, adjusted for inflation, it's not that bad. It's not that bad, but it's it's not enough to offset, I think, the cost to make the movie. Yeah. I, I think you got to consider marketing and all that. That's true. I think with Arnold at the time, they were just trying to do a lot of uh, quantity over quality. Yeah, well, he was... Maximize everything that he was in. Just right. keep banging the movies out. Oh, yeah. And make the money while it was there. No, absolutely. I mean, like we were just saying, you had two movies out in the one year, both big. And yeah, I mean, between like 83 and 92, 93, I think he must have been in 14 movies or yeah, something. Yeah, he had to Same. do like a, like two right. two a year. A movie and a yeah. half a year. Yeah, you literally. must be right. I mean, uh, God, yeah, Raw Deal and Red Heat and Predator and this. Yeah, I mean, it's just insane. The, the two Conan movies. Terminator. Like, yeah, the, the original Terminator. And then two was just 91. So like, yeah. Red Sonia. Red Sonia, that's right. Yeah, I mean, he Commando. was... Commando. Last Action Hero. Yeah. No, that was like 94 or something 94, like that, but still, it? I mean, it's not yeah. that far off. Like, no. yeah. No, he was still banging him out. He, he was, was the king, you know, for a while. And, yeah, uh, he really was. And now he's the king of the memes. Oh, and then, and then oh, okay, so speaking of Total Recall, also was in that scope. Kindergarten Cop. Kindergarten Cop. And, and I think that one's interesting, this one and Total Recall, because they were both instances of Schwarzenegger starring in something that had been adapted from a novel in both or a short story in the case of Total Recall in both cases the story got changed so much that it had almost nothing in common with the story it was based on and in both cases the original character in the novel was supposed to be a small scrawny guy and Schwarzenegger ended up getting the part so it's really interesting that he that happened like that so short and too such a short schedule yeah right I think this movie and Total Recall kind of get like somewhat mixed up in my mind because right. I saw them around the same time. I think I had them both on the same VHS tape because, you know, right. all my shit was recorded off TV. Like it was three movies on one VHS tape. So we just had a ton of those. Nice. And there was, you know, handwritten on The Running Man, Total Recall. Right. Uh, that's how I saw Blade Runner for the first time. My dad had dubbed it off of HBO or something. Right. Exactly. That was the way to do it back then. Right. right? Uh, this movie was not very critically well-received at the time it came out. It currently sits at a 64% critic score on Rotten Tomato, which is pretty good. But at the time, it wasn't very well-regarded by the critics, at least. I mean, Siskel and Ebert gave it a thumbs down. And yes, I'm afraid I'm getting tired even now of Arnold Schwarzenegger with his cute throwaway lines during unending fights. I was not excited 
by the running man. I wasn't excited either. I agree with you that the villains were not really set up into really interesting individual characters, but they were just kind of like, you know, targets in an arcade game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They didn't like it. Yeah, they also didn't like Die Hard, though. I mean, I'm not saying this movie's Die Hard, but that they're not real consistent. They're not, yeah. yeah. Who the fuck are those guys to just say that something's good or not? You know? <laughs> right? I don't care. I don't care what they said. <laughs> Who the fuck are we? Dude, the one guy had a freaking brain tumor anyways. His judgment right. was way off. <laughs> it was all the regret that caused the tumor. Right? Yeah. It's not a tumor. It's not a tumor at all. Exactly. It's not a tumor. It's not a tumor. I think uh, I think Ebert may have given one of the two of them. I think may have even given a positive review to North. I have to double check that. I may be wrong. But yeah, we were wrong about that. By the way, I did double check. Oh really? Yeah, they they trashed. Oh, North. never mind then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. I, I have a hard time taking movie critics from two old fat white dudes, you know, that have <laughs> nothing in common with me, trying to tell me whether I'm going to like a movie or not. Ugh. <sighs> Let's talk about The Running Man, a movie with the most 80s title card I've ever seen. It starts off with some opening text. Uh, Steve, I think you're probably the best person to kind of summarize this. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, absolutely. The opening crawl basically tells you that the movie opens in 2017. They're not very clear about the timeline, not super clear about the timeline in the movie, but it actually takes place between 2017 and 2019 but the the opening crawl you're starting off in 2017 (laughs) natural resources have been virtually completely used up everything is in very short supply even food uh the u.s is under the control of an authoritarian totalitarian government it's basically a dictatorship everyone is super regulated in terms of every aspect of their lives um and we're basically North Korea. Yeah, yeah. It's not that much different, really, than North Korea. You know, definitely the scene they set embodies the worst elements of that kind of society. And um, they're, they're using basically a military police nationwide to, um, to keep everybody in line. And that's, right. that's how the crawl sort of establishes the world for us. And we, then we, we move from there into our opening scene with uh, uh, a team of soldiers in a helicopter. There's an interesting note in that, that television is controlled by the state. Yes. Yeah, there's really only one TV network that we're made aware of. It is it is government-owned. Which is a weird thing. It's, it's kind of cute to me to think that, like, the idea in the 80s was that the government would have more control than corporations. <laughs> right. Well, and, you know, it's interesting, like, because we've gone that direction here, right? But I think you look at someone like North Korea— the government does basically control their, their news networks. Um, right. You know, so I think I think they were sort of mixing, but you're right, you know, society, this society, instead of selling out to its Italianitarian government, we sold out to, to corporate interests. Right. But, uh, but yeah, you know, it, in the, the news, the news controls everything. They've, they also set the scene. This is one of the few things that did make the translation from the book that society is basically placated through television. Like, they're shown... The worst elements of everything. It, Killian, the producer who we'll talk about, goes on a little rant about this later on in the movie that what people want are game shows and violence and gladiator stories. And television at this point has just combined all of it to, to give the masses something to sit and stare at so that they're not thinking or protesting or, or otherwise being problematic for the government. 
This kind of goes hand in hand with that uh, recent episode of Dark Side of the Ring where the wrestlers all go over to Korea. Did you yes, watch that one? I love that episode. Dude, yeah, where all these guys, you know, they go and wrestle like this massive venue of 300,000 people and have like no reaction because they've never seen wrestling before. They don't even know what they're watching, but they're being forced to go in to this stadium and watch Wrestling. I mean, these were the biggest of the biggest names of wrestling ever. That, that is still the world time. record for the biggest wrestling event yeah. wow. in world history. And, and they're wrestling yeah. in, in dead silence, you know, <laughs> because these people had just never been told that they're supposed to react. Like, and that's that kind of like I see where that that um, control and totalitarianism just goes hand in hand with like what yeah. they're doing in this movie. Yeah, exactly. That's wild. The show to keep the people busy and and within... It's interesting, this is one element they changed within the context of the novel, um, in the Stephen King story, um, people are not forced onto the shows, they actually volunteer. People who are so desperate in life that they can't find any other way out volunteer to be on these shows, and that's the, the Ben character in the book is blacklisted, he can't find a job, his family is so poor, his wife has been prostituting herself to get money for them, he's got a daughter who's potentially terminally ill who he needs medical treatment for. And he gets so desperate that he actually goes to the games network, which is what they call it in the book, and volunteers. And he doesn't even know what show they're going to put him on. The way they set it up in the show, you volunteer, or in the book, I mean, you volunteer to be on a show. And uh, they put you through like a physical screening and an interview process. And in the, in the book, the story goes, he eventually gets placed on The Running Man. And there's some other differences I'll, I'll go over, but it's it's interesting. In this one, it's more of a punishment. People end up on it because you've done something bad. Right. You know? That was like a way to pay for your for your debt to society for being a criminal, though, right? Like they used it in that aspect, right? Like now you're you supposed get, to believe, yeah, yeah. Like now, instead of like paying a fine for a DUI, you can go to jail for the weekend or whatever. Right. And like this was the other option for for this movie. Absolutely, yeah. Jonathan, maybe you can kind of go into what happens with Ben Richards, who is Arnold Schwarzenegger's character at the beginning. He's a helicopter pilot, right? Yeah, apparently he's a pretty renowned um, or credentialed military man at this point is flying a helicopter into a little town called Bakersfield, um, which at the time, well, I guess in 86, 87, when this movie was made, yeah, it was pretty small town and has blown up substantially. But present time in the movie, what did they say? There's like 1,500 people or something like that um, out rioting slash looting for food they're all unarmed um it's it's men women and children through there and richard's commander is telling him to destroy or end the the riot right like you know shoot them up drop a bomb whatever they got to do just them. yeah just (laughs) eliminate the the threat but there was no threat and ben richards has a little bit of uh a moral predicament here because he doesn't want to harm helpless people. Food riot in progress. Approximately 1,500 civilians, no weapons evident. Proceed with Plan Alpha. Eliminate anything moving. I said the crowd is unarmed. There are lots of women and children down there. All they want is food, for God's sake. As you were, Richard. Proceed with Plan Alpha. All rioters must be eliminated. The hell with you. I will not fire on helpless people. Abort missions. We return back to base. Lieutenant Sanders, do you copy? Affirmative. Take command, detain Richards, and proceed as ordered. 
And he says that a couple times in the movie throughout also, that he's not going to kill somebody who's helpless. So he decides that he's going to abort mission, and the guy next to him, what's that guy, what was that guy's name? I can't remember. Saunders. I think it was Lieutenant Saunders. Uh, ends up having to take over, and uh, yeah, that's where that's where we end up. Yeah, they have a helicopter scuffle. Helicopter you know, scuffle. they yeah. fight inside of it, and uh, they basically end up knocking out Ben Richards and sending him to prison. It's right. one of the things we'll talk about more, but it's one of the things I, I do like about this movie is that typically with the Schwarzenegger films, he comes in and he's this big badass and there's like never a moment where he's going to lose and he always just kicks everybody else's ass. And there's there's a little bit of him having that sort of bravado in this, which you like because it's not Schwarzenegger's bit, but there are there are several moments like in the helicopter and then again fighting fighting the hunters um, during the game where he gets beat up a little. He's not that like superhuman and he has to be a little smart about how to do things in order to to win and i kind of i kind of dug that about the part that they didn't they made him a little more vulnerable that way you know made, right. i think made, made the character more interesting there's a kind of a thing with the modern action hero since the fast and the furious movies yeah. where they don't really get beat <laughs> but if they do they also return the blows evenly on whoever it is they're fighting. Right. There's like contracts now with action stars where like <laughs> they're not allowed to get hit more than they hit. Right. It's so weird. It's so dumb. Egos have just blown up, you know. Right. And 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 you you I think you get to a point where you're there and you're like I I need to continue being perceived as being the unbeatable one because that's how I get my jobs. They start writing it into contracts. It's really crazy. It is. Uh, so 18 months later, after he's captured, he's basically sent to a detention center labor camp. Wilshire Detention Center is what it's called. Yes, yeah, so the story moves to Los Angeles at this point, and there's now supposed to be a detention center somewhere on Wilshire, Wilshire Boulevard in the remnants of a dead part of L.A. that he's being kept at. Yeah, how does that go, Steve? Well, not not well for some of them. The, not uh, the, well for Chico. <laughs> no, definitely not well for Chico. They they sort of stole a little bit here from uh, the movie Scanners, the story Scanners, which was originally written by another uh, Phil K. Dick. But uh, yeah, so they've got they've got this perimeter system. It's like sonar based or something, and all the all the inmates are wearing these these collars that have explosive devices built in. And while the system is armed, if the prisoners try to leave the radio signal or whatever is going to set their collars off and blow their heads off. So they, they let you know that, that Schwarzenegger's character, Ben Richards has sort of buddied up a little bit with two other guys, Laughlin and Weiss. And, uh, we don't know much about them at this point, but, um, we can see that they're working together to try to maybe get out. And Weiss is spying over the shoulder of one of the prison guards while he momentarily disables the, uh, the system for the, the collars because they're bringing new prisoners in. And, and Weiss, by doing this, learns what the deactivation code is or one of the deactivation codes for, for the, uh, the system that sets the collars off. So after he's acquired that, it, it turns into uh, an escape plan. And you get Arnold fighting with, with Laughlin, who's played by Yafet Kodo, one of my favorite guys. He just died, died recently, unfortunately. Yeah, Yafet Kodo was awesome. He's like, yeah, in, like in the last six or eight months. Yeah, and he he was he was super awesome. He was a theater and film actor. He was also an alien. Alien. With, Everyone knows him from Alien. Yeah. Yeah. He, he also did a performance of Othello. He was in a real famous movie about a prison riot called Brubaker. He was in Freddy's Dead. Um, he was in Midnight Run with Pacino. But yeah, Alien I think is what people most know him from. That and he played a recurring character on the series Homicide: Life on the Street. 
he also had a little bit of a music career, but yeah, so Yafet Koto is, is Laughlin, and um, he and Ben get into a staged fist fight with each other to distract the guards and cause chaos, and that turns into a mass prison break. Um, Weiss is able to get control of one of the guards' computers, and uh, they're, they're shooting it out with the guards, the inmates are, while, while Weiss tries to deactivate the system for the callers. But one of the guys who's with them, Chico, becomes impatient, and while Weiss is trying to figure out why the code he's got isn't turning off the system the way it's supposed to, Chico decides to make a run for it and loses his head in a very literal sense. It was like a battle of the enter key right there. <laughs> like, enter, no, enter, no, right. enter, back and forth. Like one guard on one side of the deadline and then Weiss just like putting in the code repeatedly and hitting enter to turn it activated, deactivated, right. activated, deactivated. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So there's a guard, yeah, Jonathan's right, there's a guard that's trying to fight Weiss about it. Every time Weiss turns the system off, a guard on the other side just turns it back on again and, and they don't realize it right away. Eventually they shoot the guy, but Chico gets his head blown off in that intermediary where the system keeps flashing on and off. <laughs> Jonathan, what'd you think about that head explosion effect? I think it was awesome. It was. Yeah, yeah, why not? I mean, it, it spoke to the time, but uh, I mean, it's kind of hard to figure out how they would like get a collar like that to get a head to just totally obliterate itself and leave the rest of the body. It was like a like perfect slice it off the neck. upward. Yeah, <laughs> it was like a perfect slice off the neck. Like... It's really cool because the shot of him getting his head blown off is from the back while he's running. Yeah. Which yeah. I imagine just makes the effect so hard. It would have been easier to show from the shoulders up and just see the explosion that way. Yeah. But it's actually a wide shot right. while he's actively running. Right. And then the head gets blown off. Yeah, I like the effect. And it's all practical. Like, yeah. you know that term, like, running like a chicken with your head cut off? Like, that's exactly what that was. Like, he still took a couple steps with his head blown yeah. off. Yeah. I, th I thought it was running like a Wilshire detention inmate right. with your head cut off. Yeah, that. <laughs> I, li I like that moment, though. It was cool. You know, they did, they, they, again, the movie Scanners. We should do Scanners sometime. People get their head blow heads blown up. It's pretty cool, but yeah, absolutely. If heads blowing up is your thing, <laughs> right? You would like these two movies, then Suicide Squad is for you. Oh, god, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, that was like literally one of the only times with a with uh guns present in the movie, except for like towards the end, right? Yeah. And I felt like they could have done like a better job with the sound effects because they were like old western, like gunslinger timey sounds for all the bullets. I'm like, dude, these guys have like automatic or semi-automatic weapons here. Like, what are they doing? Like with, with six shooter <laughs> bullet sounds, yeah, you it's know? Yeah, a good note. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people that get fucking gunned down. Like, I think it sets up like the violence in this movie yeah. pretty early. It is an 80s movie, so yeah. I think if you're watching it from that mentality, you're already in for it. According to the uh, big ratings, dude, this could have been like a PG movie. <laughs> <laughs> I think the kill count in this movie is 41 people, all in all. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, no, bad. 15 of them are Plus in this opening. Right? Right? Plus 1,500. Plus 1,500 in Bakersfield. Right, absolutely. But yeah, I, I, the, the mid to late 80s and very early 90s was such a golden period for violence and action movies. Like, they would, they would really do just kind of whatever they could think of. Anything short of an NC-17. Like, Robocop's a great example of that because when they, they, they were first told they were going to get an NC-17 because of Murphy's death scene. And 
I think the story I've heard anyways, Paul Verhoeven just kept having them trim the scene like two seconds at a time and resubmitting them until they got to a point where they, they would get an R instead of an NC-17, and that's where they left it, you know? Right. <laughs> like they had to trim that and, and a couple seconds of, of the Kenny character getting shot in the boardroom. But yeah, you know, I, the, back then, Total Recall, another Verhoeven one, this movie, anything with Schwarzenegger in it, really, they, they were not afraid of that stuff. I think these days people would be like, oh, it's too mean. Yeah. Well, this is part of the reason why I love the first two Expendables movies, <laughs> which are, are they're not new anymore. You know, they're about 10 years old or maybe even a little bit more. But they were really a throwback to this era of action movies that yeah, you don't see anymore. Absolutely. And by we'll that I mean the, the R-rated <laughs> right. action movie, right? Where you see people bleed, you see people's limbs get cut off, and, uh, you know, it's all about our big, beefy heroes taking down yeah. the bad guys. I mean, there's a limit for me. Like, I didn't really enjoy... I'm not offended by them. I don't care that they exist, but I didn't enjoy the Hostel movies. <laughs> like, it's, it's too much. I think there's a point where it's like, I'm just watching people get tortured for two hours. Well, that's a different genre. You know, yeah, but, like, something where, where they do this, like, I, I think it's, it's fun. I think it, it adds to it. Like, so yeah, they, you take movies like... This is really obscure, but like, you know, Centipede or something like yeah. that, right? And that's got a rated R like right. uh, rating. But then you're telling me that this movie constitutes that? Like, that yeah. movie is just fucking sick. Yeah, and, how and is demented. this movie just as like, bad as several people sewed together ass to mouth? I don't understand it. Like, yeah, <laughs> like, I, I don't... So, I don't understand the rating system sometimes. I think you it's know. just, it's, it's who you know and, and what you can get away All with. Right. We've already had so many conversations on this pod about that. I won't yeah. go into it again, but like, look it up. It's ridiculous. It's a totally inconsistent bullshit way of doing things. And like, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Well, that was like what I mentioned earlier. We were talking about big had a PG rating, right. but yet you've got like breast fondling. You've got F bombs. Yeah. You've got controversial situations here and it's like that PG-13 rating was definitely out by then like why did that get a PG rating is that yeah. because of the Steel the Spielberg connection or what you know yeah um, you know it's funny to me like you bringing that up you're right why they invented the PG-13 because of the indie movie and then didn't apply it there when they probably should have yeah huh well Ben Richards and his friends that do escape they they go to the local black market they get their collars removed and they, they kind of go their separate ways they go to the black market where i don't know whose connection it's supposed to be either laughlin or weiss's but they they meet up with stevie who is dweezil zappa that's frank zappa's kid and uh he and mick fleetwood yeah and then he takes them to a tent to meet mick fleetwood the the leader of the resistance who for those who aren't aware was one of the founding members of the band fleetwood mac Small band. Oh, little, yeah. Little, small little, band. little tiny band. Yeah, tiny little Locals. band. Locals. Yeah, you know, no success at all. But, uh, <laughs> um, so, and he, I think there's a, or even though they never say it, there's a theory that he's just supposed to be himself in that movie because when he meets Ben, he, he says, uh, you're one of those police who locked up all my friends and burned all my music. So it's kind of a self-referential thing. But yeah, I thought that was fun. Like literally the music he made, probably. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that was a fun side reference. And Mick manages to get the, uh, the, and they, his name in the movie is Mick. They didn't even change his name. He manages to get the, the explosive collars off of them, at which point, at least for the time being, yeah, they eventually split up. Uh, ben basically just wants to take care of himself. He intends to go find his brother somewhere in the city, meet up for a few days, and then disappear. And um, Laughlin and Weiss, you don't really know what their intentions are right away, but Laughlin, they sort of passingly mention at some point, was supposed to have been a teacher. And he does say that, what he's most concerned about is what all the propaganda is doing to, to kids 
and uh, Ben makes a joke about about Laughlin going around trying to teach kids the Constitution. So I get the feeling that's kind of what he wants to do is go go be sort of a, a helper to the resistance. They also established during this that the resistance has been trying to find the main uplink for uh, the network's feed because they want to hack into it and take it over to so they can tell people what's really going on. Right. They, they want a way to broadcast the truth to people. There's no way to communicate with right. like society at large outside of this TV network. Yeah, exactly. And the problem they've been having is that no one can actually find the the network uplink. Mick even mentions that um, he doesn't understand how the network could have possibly hidden something so big, but somehow they they found a way to do it. And that comes up again later. I have a question. Richards uses a term that I don't understand what it means and I didn't bother looking it up either, but he calls them a bunch of low foreheads. <laughs> like, does anybody have any insight on what that actually means? It's a Neanderthal reference because their got heads it. were shaped that way. He's basically saying you're a bunch of Neanderthals. Oh, yeah. got it. Right. <laughs> you're one of the cops who locked up all my friends, burned my songs. People like you took this country, turned it into a jail. We don't want his death on our hands. He's a cop. He's the butcher of Bakersfield. Come on, Mick. You can see through that crap. It's network propaganda. We don't know that. We know we wouldn't be here if he hadn't helped us. We also know he's not one of us. Perhaps now he's seen too much. I've seen too much? All I've seen is a bunch of low foreheads who think they can change the world with dreams and talk. It's too late for that. If you're not ready to act, give me a break and shut up. What an interesting insult from, like... Arnold Schwarzenegger, the beefy, like, right. meathead to, like, all the tech guys, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Like, the these Weiss nerds are going to save your ass, motherfucker. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you find out that Weiss is so brilliant. He somehow, at one point, had managed to hack the government's computers, which is why he was in the detention center to begin with. It's like, he's clearly not a dummy. <laughs> not too long after, we get to spend some time with Damon Killian, who is oh, the, yes. the face of the Running Man game show. Jonathan, maybe you can kind of tell us about him. Yeah, so Damon Killian is played by Richard Dawson, who is primarily well known for hosting Family Feud, I think from like, I don't know, 75 to 85, right around there. So the old school version, yeah. Yeah, yeah, before Steve Harvey. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know? There was even uh, someone I think, before Steve Harvey. I think Drew Carey did it for a while, even before Steve Harvey. Some shit. Yeah. yeah. No, it was it was the dude who played Al on Tool Time, wasn't it? I think he was. Oh, on Richard Tool. Borland. Yeah. Yeah, him too. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you you definitely get this like a self-entitled, sadistic kind of, like, demeanor from this guy, you know? He's not kind to the custodian. No, he's definitely not a Family Feud host, you know? Like, he's he's definitely two-faced. He was super nice to the, the custodian guy when he tripped over the mop, but then he turns to the security guard and is like, if that guy's fucking working here tomorrow, like, you're mopping the floor for the next week. It's like, you can't trust him immediately, you know he's up to some shit. Huge dirtbag. Total dirtbag. And, and that's an understatement. Love that uniform. Tony! Tony! What do you got for Damon, me? Damon, thank God the Justice Department's calling every 10 minutes. Just give them an evasive answer. Tell them go fuck themselves. Got my coffee? I want to know what we got, all right? All right, let's... But then you... you so you find out... I mean, is he actually also head, head of ICS, or is he just just for the game show? Because he could call some big shots, dude. Like, he, he asked to get on... 
yeah. the phone with what was it the the president's agent. Uh, agent he calls the justice department and decides yeah. that's not good enough and wants the, the president's agent right yeah i think you get the impression he created the running man and the running man's the network's biggest show so at the very least he gets a lot of sway because of that but yeah it sort of seems like he's sort of in charge in general yeah. well he rolls up in that maserati limo yeah. with ics <laughs> on the license plate you know, so so immediately you get the vibe that he's a big shot. He's obviously calling way more shots than just the host of the game show. Like he's the the creator, the director. He signs every contract, calls and every that, shot. Apparently, and I don't know how true this is, but he was really an asshole like that. I mean, maybe not to the point where he was killing people, but yeah. uh, apparently he treated the um, the production team on Family Feud like shit as he does in this movie. So there's kind of like this online rumor that like he was more or less like just playing himself. Right. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people really loved him too. So I don't know what the truth is, but maybe yeah, I've, I've read those as well. He, he hosted uh, family feud twice. Actually, he was on from 76 to 85 and then again from 94 to 95 with someone else in between. He also was a regular panelist on a game show called the match game. He played one of the main parts on Hogan's heroes and he was on a lot of other TV shows and in movies. Um, plus, like on like Love Boat, I think. Yeah, before, a couple shows like that. Right, and yeah. I man, I thought he was fucking perfect. He's like the the best performance in the whole movie, in my opinion. Like, he the, the whole demeanor and 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 just the attitude. I thought maybe it was just him being him, but like, I, I thought he was fantastic. I bought it a hundred percent. I would have cast him in something based on this performance. You love to hate him. You, you do. You love to hate him, and he's just that twisted fucking douchebag network producer. And really, to your question, Jonathan, in the book, you definitely get the impression that he's basically in charge of everything. Because when, when Ben's character in the book gets approved to be on the game show, Killian is, sort of appears and gives him the whole breakdown. So, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty pretty crazy. Now, Killian's looking for the next contestant on The Running Man, right? So you can tell he's involved heavily in picking which convicts they use. And, you know, they're going through a list of people. He's like has like this screen, right? And it's kind of going through criminals. One of them is a baby. It's a literal <laughs> baby. And the, the baby's name is, well, his nickname is Babyface. <laughs> and like, he's like, nah, not the baby. What are you going to just throw a baby in there? Like, what is that? Right. Sick bastard. <gasps> but eventually he Well, sees- that was... The sick bastard was the one who, like, suggested it in the first place. Right? It's true. Obviously, he didn't want to hurt a child. The guy... Killian, who- anyway. <laughs> the guy who plays his, like, executive producer and... and um, Tony. Stage director Tony is an actor, Kurt Fuller, who's just been in a million things. That guy's always I good. I hate that guy, right? Dude. Absolutely. He's a fucking douchebag car salesman yes. guy, like in every movie. Right. And he, yeah, he plays that part so perfectly. He was in Ghostbusters 2. He was a he played almost the same part douchebag um, TV producer in the original Wayne's World. Yeah, exactly. Like, absolutely. I, I, but I love him for that because he's so good at that. Yeah. I love you, man. And I love you. Because I've learned that platonic love can exist between two grown men. Another guy you love to hate. <laughs> right. For sure. He's just got that face. He does. <laughs> Where it ends up is Killian sees the footage of Ben Richards and says, that's the guy. You know, we need an athlete. We need, we need a formidable running man for the next episode. So he's basically on the hunt for him. Look at that mother move, huh? Is he beautiful? Who is he? Are you kidding? That's Ben Richards. The cop from the massacre. Sensational. Perfect contestant. I want him. Can't have him. Why not? 
Damon, you know our contract. We never get military prisoners. Who's a military prisoner? He's still at large. Yeah? Well, they'll get him for me. Cadres can't have it both ways, huh? They want ratings. I can get 10 points for his biceps alone. Hello. Yeah, this is Killian. Get me the Justice Department, Entertainment Division. No, no, hold that. Operator, get me the president's agent. But Steve, meanwhile, Ben Richards, he goes to see his brother, but his brother isn't home, is he? No, he thinks he's going to see his brother at his brother's apartment. He lets himself in using a keypad on the door and uh, realizes no one's home. So, he, you know, thinking it's his brother's place, he takes a shower, gets himself all cleaned up. Okay, that was bullshit with the keypad thing because if she, if his brother yeah. was already gone and she was a new tenant, there's no way they're using the same password. I thought the same thing. It's kind of weird. I mean, it, it's something that didn't occur to me for years, but you're right. Yeah, that's, why would the keypad number be the same? He just shouldn't have been able to get into right. the apartment. And, in the first and that place. was like perfect opportunity for Arnold uh, script right there for like the password didn't work or something. And then he like punches it and then the door opens and says something stupid, like must be broken right. or, or something. You know what I mean? They, like, like he does he, throughout this entire movie, he's got those throwaways. Like, why didn't they use one right there? Yeah. Good point. This, this movie is strong with one liners. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, and like it's so many of those Arnold moments he, and he does the same look, every movie he was in in the series, does the same thing in total recall. He does the same thing in, like six others. He gets these quips, these little Arnold quips, you know, and I, I like them. They're fun, but yeah, but you know, they could have written it to have Maria Conchita Alonso's character just come home while he was trying to let himself in, and he could, could have just grabbed her and said, "You're letting me in." Um, but instead, somehow, somehow it works. He gets into the apartment. Well, we wouldn't see her working out in her nighty, <laughs> right? And uh, so she comes home while he's in the back. Somehow she doesn't notice someone else is already in the apartment. She starts working out to her aerobics while he's in the back cleaning up. And perfect timing, during her aerobics, she sees a news flash about Ben escaping. Ben, at this point, has become known as the Butcher of Bakersfield. The propaganda news has made it out that he actually killed the 1,500 people, or at least tried to kill the 1,500 people who were protesting over food. They've got an edited version of a video from inside the helicopter that makes it look as if Ben is a mass murderer. So she's seeing on the news that this guy who's the butcher of Bakersfield is murderer of 1,500 people has escaped from a detention center. And before she can even react to it, it turns out he's there in the apartment with her. That Captain Freedom workout video is insanity. I love it. It's so good. It was a perfect embodiment, a perfect embodiment of the 80s. And they don't do it as well in this movie. But there are moments of this film where they're clearly intentionally just satirizing the culture of that time like they did in Robocop, like with the news breaks and stuff. It's just it's just kind of a here's here's this. And she's yeah, she's working out to like the lead murderer, the lead hunters, like special workout video. And he he's like, you know, do you want pain? Do you want suffering? Like you're gonna you're gonna love the captain's workout. Yeah. It's Jesse Ventura with hair. Are you ready for pain? Are you ready for suffering? If the answer is yes, then you're ready for Captain Freedom's workout. Yes, it's America's yeah. own Captain Freedom. Ten-time national champion. The greatest stalker to ever play the game. Total, like, calisthenics workout yes. from the late 80s. Right, you know, absolutely. Jazz, like, jazzercise. Yeah, bullshit like that. You know? and the headbands. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I miss the 80s so much. Which is an interesting point about this movie in general, I think, that it doesn't really attempt to be futuristic. Yeah. It says it's in the future, but it just basically is like 80s everything for the most part. Right. I mean, this, 
you're not wrong. And, and some movies were better at predicting than others, but this is always the problem. You watch any movie from any year that's supposed to be set more than like five years in the future. What you always get is the future from the perspective of whatever era they made the movie. And you look at, <laughs> you look at Logan's run in THX 1138. Yeah. It's the future from the perspective of the seventies, you yeah, know, and Logan's run is so goofy. Right. It is. And I love that movie, but it's goofy as fuck. And, and you know, you, you look at total recall. It's, it's the future is, seen from the perspective of the early 90s it's always because you can't you can't ever really predict and sometimes they accidentally get stuff wrong like robocop there's a moment fuck no i can't remember his name the, the bad guy um but clarence bodiger yeah bodiger bodiger's got a dvd you know that's not what they call it but that's what it is it's a cd disc with a movie on it like it turned out that became a thing you know but yeah that's we, we we're human we can't get away from that right like the any movie set in the future is always going to look like the future from the perspective of whenever the movie was made so let me, let me give you a little list because i picked up on this big time okay and these are things that they got right in the for the future right. from predicting from 87 up to 2019 or whatever when it <laughs> is right so we're this fucking close to being into a police state anyways in right. the US, right? So they're almost on point with that. Propaganda they, news. Yep. They talk about the big quake of 97, which we had the Northridge quake in what? 94. 94. Yeah. Okay. Destroyed tons of LA. Yeah. Right? Maserati got popular again over the last Did. two years since 2019. And he rolls up in a Maserati limo. Okay. Right? So resources are low. Fuel you know, there's always a, a big issue with fuel, right? right. LED technology, <laughs> like right. the fucking idiot with the, the LED mohawk right. <laughs> and the oh. LED nutsack, dude. <laughs> the, the designs of the vehicles going back to like real hard body lines, real like harsh angles on the designs yeah. of things like that. Alexa voice controls in all the apartments and shit like that. Like in, in, um, yeah. what's your name's house. I mean, there were so many consistencies or, 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 things that they predicted of right. what this year would be like. Yeah. And, they, and they're pretty on point. Not bad. I mean, aside from a lot of this shit, just looking dumb as hell, but right. But the, the ideas of what it was actually, they, they hit the mark on no, almost all of those. And that's one of the things I find oddly interesting about sci-fi movies from the late eighties and early to mid nineties. Cause this, they, they, they ended up predicting a lot of that stuff accurately, but it's stuff they thought was going to be 30 or 40 years away and turned out to only be like 10 or 15 years away. Right. Yeah. Very weird. Well, I mean, that, that was 30 years. Right. It has been 30 years oh, since yeah. this movie came out. No, absolutely. Absolutely. You're right. It's just like some of those things, they were, some of those things they were a little ahead of the curve about, but you're right. It's been yeah. about the right amount of time for a lot of that. And yeah, you know, and I, I, I think about uh, like the video phone, the wall video phone in Demolition Man, you know, and, and some of the other stuff, yeah. the voice activated lighting. I got a lot of Demolition Man vibes from this movie for right. sure. For sure. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so, uh. He escapes. He he captures her, um, Maria Conchita Alonso, real quick. Uh, Amber. In this Amber movie. Mendez. Yeah, she's in real life. She was born in Cuba, but was raised at least partially in Venezuela, then moved to America. She was an actress, a singer, a songwriter, a beauty queen. She's a well-known philanthropist. She's still working as a philanthropist today. She was in a handful of big movies, late 80s, early 90s. She was in Vampire's Kiss with Nick Cage. She was in Predator 2. <laughs> There, a lot of people from The Simpsons don't realize they took the name from a real movie, but uh, she was in a movie that's actually called McBain, um, but it did not have Schwarzenegger in it. It had um, Stephen, uh, Christopher Walken in it. Uh, she did a whole bunch of other films. She recorded 19 albums between 1979 and 2016. Three of them were nominated for Grammys. A lot of it was Latin American style music, so it's not, not everybody's 
genre, but uh, she she was pretty prolific, and she was she was very 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 popular at that time. One of those people that like modern modern pop culture is not really aware of for anymore but but she was in a way she was sort of the Sofia Vergara of of that era when they needed a really attractive sort of Latin American actress during the mid and late 80s she was often the go-to for them yeah. I'm gonna say I I get you on the Sofia Vergara thing but I think she's more of like Salma Hayek if you got her from Wish kind of thing <laughs> it's true <laughs> We have Selma Hayek at home. Right. Selma Hayek at home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. I mean, so good. <laughs> that's a good comparable one, too. I think if Desperado had been made 10 or 12 years before it was, that there's a chance Maria Conchita Alonso would have played that part instead of Selma Hayek. Absolutely. Yeah. Ben's pretty forceful with her. He's kind of mean, you know? Like, I, he's yeah. in a tight situation, and he doesn't hurt her, but he does scare the living shit out of her. He says, yeah. please. <laughs> okay. Good. Now I'm going to untie you, and then you're going to get dressed, and then you're going to come with me. Oh, yeah? Well, why should I? Because I'm going to say, please. <laughs> well, why didn't you say so? And they sort, of, <laughs> they sort of reinforce, especially later with Dynamo, which we'll talk about when we get there, that he, more than likely, he never would have actually done anything to her. But he really, really needs her to believe in that moment that he will. So, yeah. He needs her her basically futuristic version of a passport. Right. So that he can travel to Hawaii. He's just trying to lay low, right? So he wants to get out of there. Yeah. So he forces her to go with him. And he doesn't have his own passport. He's just going to use hers. And I guess the plan is to, like, confuse the guard. Because, you know, he, he's like, let me see your passport. He scans hers. <laughs> let me see hers. Oh, I can't find it in the purse. Oh, there's so much stuff in here. Okay, move along. Right. You know? You didn't put it in your purse again, did you? Last vacation, she put my credit cards in, then we couldn't find them for a week. Oh, yeah, could you hold this, please? want to move it up there. We got a plane to catch. Go on, go on. You can't live with them, and you can't live without them. It's like that old gag. Yeah, exactly. People behind them start getting pissed off. And, like, there's no way in a society that tightly controlled by the government they'd ever let anybody through without scanning a badge. But whatever. Right. You know? <laughs> so he does make it through. This is another interesting element. It's just something they added for the sake of the story for the, for the film rather than the book. I, I won't give you all the details, but in, in the book version, as part of being in, on the show as a contestant, he's allowed to travel wherever he wants. The, the setup for the game is totally different in the, in, in the book. He, not only does he volunteer, but the idea is supposed to be you're allowed to travel anywhere you want, not just in the U.S., but internationally. You can go to airports. You can get on planes. In fact, you're encouraged to run as much as you can. You get a 12-hour head start on anyone looking for you. You get paid $100 for every hour you stay alive. And when you get killed, whatever money you earned will go to your family. He also, in the book, this is how fucked up the book gets, he gets a $100 bonus for every law enforcement officer he kills along the way. He also gets $100 for every hunter he kills along the way. Um, the grand prize in the book is a billion dollars, which the Killian character makes a point of saying no one has ever, ever gotten. You've got to survive for 30 days to get it. In the book, even viewers, if they see Ben in public, can win a cash prize for calling the network to report him. So he spends... 
most of the story, they start off, they give him $4,000 in cash and a 12 hour head start and tell him basically run. It's on you now. He's also got to record in the book. He's supposed to record three video messages every day and mail them back to the network. And if he fails to do so, he forfeits. But, um, so, you know, it's interesting in, 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 in the, the movie, they decided to completely get rid of his ability to go where he wants. And, and he, he has this airport scene. It's how he ends up ending up on the show is getting caught in the airport. Uh, yeah, they have like designated game zones yes. in the movie. Yeah, yeah there's what they say was 400 blocks. Though. Yeah, I mean, dude, that's pretty massive, right? Yeah, the 400 square block zone that was is left over from the 97 earthquake that obliterated most of LA. And that's that's a shared, shared thing with uh, Demolition Man. That's one of my favorite parts in that movie where, where they're in the museum and Demolition Man and, and Simon and, and Spartan are fighting. And there's a, they've, they've built a viewing deck above a portion of L.A. that has been left from being destroyed by an earthquake. And that, that's basically what this is. It's a 400 block underground zone of destroyed L.A. that uses their game arena. Yeah, so when Ben's caught, he's basically confronted by Killian and is kind of forced to, quote, volunteer as the running man, right? He says, if you don't go... I got your friends that you escaped with, and they're going to go. He tells them Laughlin and Weiss will go in your place if you don't volunteer. Right. Yeah. Quick note, I love it when he says, You know who I am? I've seen you before. You're the asshole on TV. Right? <laughs> you know, it's a, and it's a lot of those, again, those Arnold quips. There's another one later where, where Fireball lands on the roof of a building, and, and Maria says, Jesus Christ, and Arnold says, guess again. You know, he's just like, he has all these, those Arnold moments. I like that. So we do get to see the Running Man show. And this is where things get really exciting for me as a viewer. And especially when I was a kid, this is where like, hell yeah. I mean, it does have a a little bit of an overly long 80s intro with a big dance scene from apparently Paula Abdul choreographed. Yeah, she did all the, they even named the music Paula's theme because of her. It's interesting. I, I still dig that. One of the things that struck me watching it this time, my opinion, others may disagree, is that I think they do a really good job at least of getting you to the game pretty quickly. It doesn't feel like they wasted any significant amount of time in the buildup. It, it basically just, it, like, they, they, the first scene has been in the helicopter, and from there it's just kind of a roll to getting them to the show. But uh, I, I, I like that. I like the dance bit, not because I'm into choreography, but because I think it, it does embody that era. And the kind of things they were doing was these big shows with big dance numbers. And there was a big moment during the 80s where they were sort of trying to recant like the 30s and the 40s. There were a lot of like 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 uh, the Academy Awards several years. They did a lot of like singing in the rain style throwback musical numbers. And, you know, I think 70s, early to mid 80s, that was still the kind of thing you would have seen at a big performance, a big Vegas performance, for instance. And they were trying to incorporate that in the show. And it's another one of those elements I think is at least meant to be partly, partly satirical. Yeah, I mean, this is the show. This is yeah. the form of entertainment that they have. Like, there's nothing else. They're going to give them the best show that they could. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. And you've got this huge audience there, and they're way into it. And Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's basically like they're the Super Bowl, but every week. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. 
You know, and that goes back to what we were talking about earlier, which this is this is the government's primary control mechanism. They're keeping everybody just complacent by giving them this this ridiculous entertainment instead of actually addressing public issues. The Hunger Games might have uh, borrowed right. from this concept right. slightly. There's an internet rumor, I don't know if it's true, that the producers of American Gladiators stole the idea from this movie. Which I'd sort of believe. Yeah, I mean, I can see it being one of the primary bases for sure, <laughs> right. right? The big outlandish right. yeah. wrestlers. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, we do get to see some of what are called the stalkers in, during the intro before they actually come out. You know, they're yes. they're big and they're crazy. They're basically wrestlers, right, Jonathan? They're yeah. I mean, they're just big, huge dudes with a gimmick. Yeah. I mean, that's the, there's no other way to say. They, they all got them. sweet fucking gimmicks. And yeah. They're, they're all pretty awesome, actually. They are. Yeah. You know what one I don't remember that they actually like introed, which was Fireball, right? I don't remember seeing him in the beginning. And then you like randomly have these like outbursts by this guy, like this, this black guy just like yelling at the TV and stuff <laughs> like, yeah, do that one for for Buzzsaw or whatever, right? And then, like, the next scene, he's got, like, his shirt opened up, and he's, like, a, just this sweaty black dude with, like, <laughs> less clothes every time we see him. And then we find out way later on that he's actually Fireball. I think you're supposed to recognize him as, like, in real life, as Jim Brown, yeah. the football player. Because, you yeah. know, it was, it was like, what, 15 years after he had retired or whatever. But, Corey, you got to help me out with this. Maybe you'll remember. They, for, for his part in this movie, Jim Brown, they gave him these two horizontal gray streaks. Fucking Pepe Le Pew looking motherfucker, dude. I swear to God, I swear to God, there was a Marvel comic book character, an African-American Marvel comic book character in the late 80s, early 90s, whose hair was exactly like that. Like, like it would, maybe the Jim Rhodes character from Iron Man or someone, one of the older characters, they drew just like that. I swear they were copying him, but I can't think of who it was. I don't remember. I'll have to try to find a picture, but yeah, Absolutely. Ben Richards is assigned like a lawyer that is basically appointed agent. Yeah, I mean, it's it's nothing, but he fucking stabs him when he's signing the contract. Like, yes, he has the paper on his back and he just dots. Yeah, the let's eye. just give a a pissed off criminal who's being forced into this game show to save his own life and his friends a weapon. Right, you know, with nothing to lose. Yeah, exactly. I fucking love that part. Did you though. ever? Me too. L- did you listen or put the subtitles on to when he was just doing all his like mumbo jumbo? Yes. Like he's just like saying random like Greek shit, like ad, ad infinitum and shit like this, like throughout the whole. thing thing dude it's so stupid it's just fucking nonsense yeah oh, I it's, love it. it's just a bunch of like like yeah like latin phrases like whereas the victim can test this and whereas network and victim have in past been combatants ad hoc de facto the parties herein have agreed to disagree this is now mutually consented to be de jour and therefore parties have certain obligations to each other Respective rights and obligations. And it's like, what? Like, yeah. They did like, the same- we're going to agree to disagree. Like, oh my God. They did the same thing. There's a scene in, in the production room where you can see credits rolling on some of the monitors. And if you if you look, if you like pause or scroll through, the, the credits are all just nonsense stuff. It's, really, it's very funny. <laughs> so as Ben's about to start the Running Man show, they show the footage of the butcher of Bakersfield. They show him supposedly yeah. killing everyone. 
And it is hilarious if you think about it from a technical standpoint, isn't it, Steve? Yes. Like, they show the footage for the movie. Yeah. It's not like security cam footage yes. inside the helicopter. It's the it's different angles of what right. we see. It's outside the helicopter. It's yeah. inside. That's the one, the one thing. I know it's not supposed to be a serious movie, and the whole thing's kind of ridiculous. But, like, that's the one element to this that always really bugged me is, like, why? How did, where did this come from? Like, I'm willing to believe. Stock footage, too. Right? Duh. I'm, I'm, right? I'm willing to <laughs> be. <laughs> I'm totally willing to believe that a totalitarian government would have military hardware cameras in it. Like, I'd, I'd believe there was a camera in there watching them. But, yeah, you're right. The footage they show you is not some kind of in-helicopter footage. It's just the same scenes that we saw. And it's like, how would they have footage of the outside of the helicopter? How would they have footage of Ben's POV? It's so cinematic. <laughs> it's so weird that that's how it got got edited together. It's, it's just like edited. It. He's like... Right. <laughs> it's like such a funny edit too like if it you've is. seen the actual version and watch that screen our star runner tonight needs no introduction he's ben richards the brutal slayer of 60 men women and children in the bakersfield massacre food riot in progress approximately 1500 civilians moving in yankee 99 the crowd is unarmed repeat unarmed abort attack the hell with you. Lieutenant Sanders, take command. Detain Richards and return to base. <coughs> Acknowledge, Yankee Nine-Niner. Acknowledge. Return to base. Those are innocent, unarmed people down there. Cease fire. Cease fire. And it's so otherwise, like, it's almost kind of perfect, especially, especially now. Like, the idea of a news network using curated, specially edited footage to sort of give you the impression that here's here's what happened because this is what we've said happens and here's our video footage. You can trust that it's accurate, you know, like it's, it's, it's sort of a, a nice touch to that whole world, but then they ruin it with the ridiculous, like, why, why would this be the way this is? I don't know. It's, it's pretty funny <laughs> because they, they literally had like two hours from the point of capturing him to like create right. this footage and, and sabotage his name even more. Yeah. Right. So I mean, what are you going to do in two hours? And all the all the people in the crowd and the people at home that are watching this show, anyways, they're just they're trained to watch it. It's true. They're they're gonna believe it no matter what. Right. No, you're right. I think you're right about that. They're all just so subject to the propaganda and the brainwashing. They don't. None of them thinks about it. Yeah. No, not at all. Yeah. Hey, so did you catch the commercial for the climbing for Rottweilers yes. or climbing climbing for dollars? I love Dude, that. How cheesy was that? It was like it was a commercial for one of the game shows and they right. just had like a six foot chain link fence with barbed wire around it. And then like you have to like climb up a chain with six Rottweilers below you right. while you try to grab money. That was yeah. one of those moments that made me like call back to Robocop. It was definitely a very Verhoeven thing. I And I liked that touch. I did. It's another one of those satire moments. It's just it, it took it took what was real at that time and just made it into something even more ridiculous. So that you kind of draw back and go, what the fuck is this? <laughs> That is definitely the show that you'd want to be on if you had to be on one of these. Oh, yeah. Because you can just train yourself to climb a rope, right. you know, and like survive. Having to fight guys with flamethrowers oh, and no. shit is uh, a basically impossible task. Right. So, yeah. Uh, give me climbing for dollars any day <laughs> over the running man, for sure. <laughs> uh, but before the show starts, you know, Killian comes out. He's introducing the show. He's, you know, your big game show guy. He's the face of it all. You know, he does the Ben Richards video. 
he talks about prizes and there was supposedly all these previous winners so yeah. like, this is not a rigged contest he shows video to the audience of three previous winners living it up on some tropical island with beautiful women right yeah and not green screened at all right <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but surprise, Ben Richards' uh, accomplices are runners too. So he kind of like went back on his deal. He said, yes. if you do the running man, they won't have to. But he just has them all go anyway because he's a fucking piece of shit. Right. And he basically launches them into these like tube shoot, like semi roller coaster bobsled things where he just yeah. like leaves them off into the, the course. Just shoots them underground down to where this leftover part of old LA is. Yeah. And there's a bunch of people that I, I assume some of which are hired by the game show to like force them to start running, right? Yeah. Like they kind of antagonize you until you start running. Yeah, they're just there to sort of make sure that you you end up in the part of this area where you're supposed to be instead of trying to like get out. Right. Yeah. And I think it's a nice touch that they're there, but they're not like attacking them, you know? Right. Like they're just kind of like harassing them. Right, absolutely. I like that too. Yeah. I also like that, you know, the, 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 there's a whole separate sort of line there with people outside in a, in a public square watching the game show on a huge outdoor monitor and betting on who's going to die and it just shows you what kind of society this really is there's no fucking way that that the government doesn't know that all that <laughs> betting is going on and you would think that they would be stopping that yeah right. it's yeah. like pogs all over again <laughs> yeah for sure the pog epidemic <laughs> yeah so the game kind of begins, and this is where things get crazy. It turns out the audience members, they get to choose which stalker, which is the hunter that comes out to kill the running men. Yes. They get to choose a stalker, so they kind of pull someone up from the audience. They pull out this old lady, and uh, she picks Sub-Zero uh, as the first contestant. Professor Sub-Zero? Yeah. Yeah, he has He's once... earned that degree, okay? <laughs> yeah. so good. Quickly. Um, well, my husband and my little boy, they have their favorites, but... Um, I like my men big and cuddly. Yeah. Who is it? <laughs> Sub Zero. Oh, all right, okay. <laughs> he's actually not a professor. No, but his real name was Charles uh, Kalani Jr. He passed in two thousand. Charles Kalani Jr. Yeah. Sub Zero. The, yeah, the guy who played Sub Zero. Isn't that uh, Toru Tanaka? Well, here's the thing. Uh, he, that was his performance name. Ah, I see. Yeah, he went by Professor Toro Tanaka, which is why they gave him the professor line for the movie. But that was not... You're right, but that was not his birth name. Um, that was his he was his, his wrestling name. And uh, he was a professional wrestler, professional boxer, martial artist, fought as Professor Toro Tanaka. Three ninjas henchmen. Exactly. It was, it was great. So he was, he was Francis's butler in Pee-wee's Big Adventure, one of my favorite parts of all time. Oh, nice. He played a Yakuza bodyguard in one of my favorite 80s movies, uh, Black Rain. He also played a, a professional personal bodyguard in Showdown in Little Tokyo. He had a cameo in Last Action Hero, and he was one of the bad guys in Three Ninjas. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, big body of work for that guy, especially regarding the kind of movies that we do podcasts on. Yes. So that guy's pretty cool. Uh, but Jonathan, maybe you can kind of tell us about what goes on with Sub-Zero and our runners. We get our one of our first big moments in terms of, you know, the running man action. Basically, we end up with, with the three guys. It takes them a second to realize that they ended up on ice, like an ice skating rink. So you get Sub-Zero, who basically has this, like, a goalie hockey stick kind of, but with like really sharp razor edges. I guess apparently it can go through steel and shit like that. He has the like, animadium hockey stick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. His gimmick is the ice thing, right? He's the hockey guy. 
Right. Yeah, he's wearing the right. goalie's armor, and he's got the metal stick and explosive pucks. So he just starts going ape shit on the three guys who clearly have the disadvantage. I mean, they're who knows what kind of texture they've got on their shoes. Like they're just slipping and sliding all over the place. He shoves Weiss into a collapsible hockey net and traps him in there. He like um, yeah, he like scores a, he like he like <laughs> slap shots him. Like. Yeah, dude, it just speaks to like his character. Like he's the you know he's the the brains behind the operation. He's he's kind of defenseless. And so he just gets locked up, fortunately for him. When he yeah, could have he's just not got much his, of a physical kind of no, fighter. No, he could have like just easily got his head sliced off or something, you know. But they're trying to give him a show. It's a game show. Exactly. So they they got to entertain the crowd. So they couldn't just get rid of him. Richards gets knocked out, I guess, by like some kind of like a hockey puck explosion. Like he knuckle pucks it over there yeah. and it explodes. <laughs> he does the Keenan knuckle puck. Yeah, right. <laughs> And then there, at some point, Richards gets back up and he pulls down the barbed wire, right? Yeah, and then and ends up wrapping him up and around his neck, and there goes Sub Zero. Yeah, he chases Laughlin and Ben around a little bit, and eventually Ben, yeah, grabs some barbed wire off the fencing and manages to get it wrapped around Sub Zero's neck. <laughs> yeah, he takes him out. He kills this motherfucker. So that leads us to the first time that a stalker had ever been killed. And nobody knows how to react. Right. Like, it's like Killian, unheard of. Yeah. Well, it is unheard of. Like, that was the first time ever. So Killian has, like, nothing to say except, you know, well, fuck. Words can't <laughs> express we, what we're all feeling right now. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're going to have to take a break here. Like, the crowd is dead silent. Obviously, nobody has ever bet on Sub-Zero to be killed. Or, or any of the stalkers to be killed. Right, I feel like all the and betting so, is like, how fast will they kill someone? Right, so the house won big on that fucking vet, dude. <laughs> Nobody got paid. Good point, man. Dude, right? they came up. That guy, if he was smart, like, like that bookie would have just cashed in everything yeah, and left. That's it. Dude, right. I'm done for the night, we're dude. We're done. Although yeah. I, guess, I guess he continued to do that multiple more times, if you think about it. Yeah. After Ben Richards kills Sub-Zero, he looks to the camera and he says, Hey, Killian! Here is Sub-Zero! Now, Plane Zero! Plane Zero. Another Arnold moment. That was one of the stupidest fucking lines, dude. It was so dumb. Just Plane Zero. It may be dumb, but if you haven't said that to your friend after you beat them in Mortal Kombat then like what are you even doing with your life <laughs> the other sub-zero yeah <laughs> i swear to god that was my favorite thing to say to my cousin shane because i was always scorpion and he was sub-zero <laughs> god but like really but what does that even mean like you know it's it, bad like, yeah i know it's, it's bad. bad like where the fuck was the writing for that i mean at least earlier he used like stuff like i'll be back you know like obviously that's a need a lift from other need ones a lift. yeah Exactly. I, I love how they squeezed I'll be back into this one. I, God, he, he always had to say it. So they do get some new stalkers in, and it's time to send this time two at a time. They're not fucking around anymore. They pick an audience member. She can't decide. So they go with both of her options. They go with Buzzsaw and Dynamo. Buzzsaw's my favorite. What, what's Buzzsaw about, Steve? Buzzsaw Eddie Vitowski. Last season's leading stalker. He uses two chainsaws, uh, or at least two chainsaws, one of which is specially rigged with a grip so he can use it always on a motorcycle. They make a point of telling you these chainsaws are made by Hammond and Gage. They're made of Trilon-coated Durasteel, 
and they're capable of cutting through muscle, sinew, bone, or even steel. And so he's got these special chainsaws. He rides around on this motorcycle with his with his one chainsaw that he can wield while he's riding. I mean, his name is Buzzsaw Eddie Vitowski. It's so good. It's so stupid and so good. I love it. I if, love the whole thing. If they just led with the chainsaw can cut through steel, wouldn't it just be assumed that it yes, could go it through could bone rest. and muscle? Right. <laughs> you know? But they've got to they got to make sure you know it can oh do all these God. things. You know, like fucking marketing department, <laughs> right? I love it. Yeah, he's crazy. He's got like contacts on, so his like eyes look like white or something. Like yes. he looks like a complete lunatic and he has a motorcycle. And he's totally insane and he's at least as big as Arnold. And like yeah, he's he's my favorite. But they also introduce him alongside Dynamo. Dynamo is the most ridiculous and awesome thing in this movie. Dynamo! The guy who played him real quick was actually, I know you're going to mention this, because he was actually a baritone opera singer, like an actual trained opera singer. Yes, and the character in the movie is an opera singer, so his whole gimmick is he's the electric guy, right? He's got like... Christmas lights all over his body. (laughs) A clear mohawk. He's got an LED nutsack. Right? (laughs) And his car, he drives the most ridiculous little golf cart-based car thing because he's like 400 pounds and otherwise would never be able to make his way around in his ring. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, he's got to have a car because he can't walk, can't run. Right? He's he's a ginormous man. He's clearly obese, very slovenly. Sings opera, and shoots electricity. Total fucking pig. Yeah, and shoots bolts of electricity. Ugh. And I just hate his stupid face. Yeah, really. Yeah, he was the one I most wanted. Like, Vitowski's my favorite hunter, but he's the Dynamo's the one I most wanted to die, actually. Yeah. He's like he's like Raiden with a battery pack. <laughs> right? He's like Raiden's like like disabled cousin. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Also, Amber gets thrown in the ring now. So now there's four of them. They, they catch Amber. So when, when when Ben first takes her in her apartment, he tells her that he's innocent, that the, the only reason anyone thinks he's done anything is because of government propaganda, and she thinks he's full of shit. But the longer it goes on after Ben is recaptured and thrown on this game show, the more she begins to realize that he was probably telling the truth. And she works at ICS as a, as a music writer. So while she's at work and Ben's on the show... She sneaks into a production office to see if she can find unedited videotape of what actually happened in Bakersfield and gets caught by security while she's there. So they drag her to Killian and Killian decides to make her the mystery guest. So she ends up down there with them. Right, and she just gets tossed in for, like, bullshit crimes. Like, she cheated in college exams. Yeah, and they make she up all kinds of... She had sex with three men in a year. Right? <laughs> and, you know, she says, go ahead, tell some lies about me. And Killian says, we don't lie. And that comes back to haunt him later. So our, our groups are kind of like split up now. There's four people and there's uh, Laughlin and Richards and then Amber's off with Weiss. Now Buzzsaw kind of shows up on his motorcycle to confront Laughlin and Richards. Yes. How does that go? So I guess somewhere in there, Buzzsaw kind of gets Laughlin a little bit, kind of slices his gut or something, but he doesn't reveal that to Richards. He just kind of tells him he's hurt. 
So Buzzsaw is chasing Richards around on his motorcycle with his sick-ass chainsaw. And at some point, he ends up with like a steel cable that he wraps around Richards, right? He has like like one of those like uh, cables that has rocks on the end of it, like weights, right? Yeah, and he, he like, like lassos his ass like right up. style mace. Yeah. 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 But when they do like this close-up shot, you end up seeing that it's like a steel cable. So it's pretty gnarly. So he's dragging Richards around and he gets it. Uh, Richards ends up just like figuring out that he could take that cable and wrap it around some rebar that's sticking out of like an old um, concrete pylon. And when he does that, it just pulls Buzzsaw right off of his bike and, and advantage Arnold. Right, because now we can kind of go like hand to hand with him. Right, yeah. And, and, and it puts almost a fair fight because he's not getting chased down by this this motorcycle. And then it ensues this this like arm wrestling contest almost of like pushing the chainsaw back and forth between the two guys. Yeah. They're like both struggling for it. Right. And the footage was so ridiculous because every time you go to look at the chainsaw, there's not even a chain on there. And it's like super obvious that there's no chain and they're like all the chainsaw sounds are happening and this thing's at full speed. Richards, I love the saw. The saw's part of me. There's no exhaust coming out of this thing, even though it's like a full motor. And then somehow Arnold is able to, Arnold, Richards is able to get the chainsaw down and and between Buzzsaw's legs and just kind of splits him in half from the ground up. That's all right. I liked the fight between the two of them. I think it was another one of those moments where it's like Arnold's Arnold's the good guy and he's the big badass and ultimately he can beat them, but he's not the superhero who just runs in and punches them once and dies. Like Buzzsaw beats him up a little, drags him around by this cable from behind his motorcycle and it takes a little bit of a wrestling match to to win the fight. Like I, I dug it. Gets yeah, the was, chainsaw to the dick. Right? Yeah. Which is quite fucking brutal. It is. <laughs> Free see, circumcisions today. Right? <laughs> Took off a little more than just some skin. <laughs> Took off his life. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I liked it, yeah. Dynamo, meanwhile, is driving around in his stupid fucking car. car. This is like go-kart piece of shit. And as ridiculous and shitty and dumb as it is, I love this part too. Like him chasing Richards in the car is so funny. It's so good. It like, is. I love it. Okay. No, it's great. <laughs> it is. So this this leads us to this stupid fucking thing that happens, like, in every movie, and it bothers me so much, and is when somebody's getting chased, and let's say you're in an environment like this, right? You have these ruins, and there's, like, these straight roads, right? Why the fuck does somebody just run straight and and they chase him with a car? Why not just go right and climb over the pile of shit over there? Because his fat ass is not getting out of the car and going to go chase him. Like, advantage Richards. Climb over the side and go creep up behind him and fucking snap his neck. I don't know. Well, but, like, why, why run in a straight line? Right. Well, that's ultimately what he does, though, isn't it? Because he sort of runs up the side of that hill and it makes Dynamo flip his car over. Yeah, but... It could have like happened three minutes before that. That's true. It could have happened quick. You know? Yeah. But and it happens multiple times in this movie that these people are just being flat out chased, like it's a game of tag or something. Yeah. 
Dynamo does crash his car. He's like shooting the like he fucking straight up Palpatine's Weiss. Yes. Right? He gets that guy good. I mean he kills him. Yeah, yeah. So we kind of skimmed real quick. Like Weiss and Maria are not with them because um Weiss has figured out while they're down there, Weiss has noticed that the the satellite relays for the video feed are not pointing upward toward the surface. They're pointing inward towards some point within the game arena. And by noticing this, he then deduces the reason the Resistance has never been able to find the network's uplink is because the network's uplink is hidden underground in this, this, this arena. And that, that's why all the dishes are pointed one direction, because they're, they're feeding data to each other. So Weiss and Laughlin originally run off without Ben to try to find these broadcast centers. And then they get into the fight with Dynamo and, and, and Eddie, Buzzsaw, and uh, Laughlin ends up getting killed by the saw, and, and Ben gets involved with that in a minute. But meanwhile, Weiss has found one of the a way to get in one of these little uplink stations. It's not the main uplink, but it's one of the broadcast helpers. And it's he's, like a relay point, yeah. Yeah, relay point. And he's he's pulling access information, including a code, which they could potentially use later on to to uplink with, or to, to hack into the main uplink. But before, right as he's finishing giving giving her the codes because she's asking her to remember the numbers dynamo uh basically turns him into a fried human being yeah yeah 1717 do me my love he unlimited powers him <laughs> right? quickly it was not a friendship it was a fatality I gotta say when I was a kid even though like Dynamo kind of like turned me off in terms of like his singing and his look his like ability his gimmick the electricity that he shoots I always thought was the coolest thing I do like like it that is awesome like I hate him but I like him at the same time I know what you mean yeah Yeah. (laughs) when he crashes his car Ben won't kill him Right, so he's like above that. He he, yeah. he kills in self defense. Right, but as he stated earlier, he won't kill an innocent human being. No, not no, innocent, but a helpless. Helpless, yeah. I mean, it, it, like it's one of those moments where I was like, oh, I would have done it because he was just trying to kill you. But yeah, it's just sort of it's that other that underline that Ben wouldn't unless he has to. But his friends do die. They they both don't make it. One right. of them, Weiss, was killed from Dynamo and Laughlin. That chainsaw hit was uh, actually pretty deep, so he dies too. The scene where. Ben and Amber go back to Laughlin for a moment before he dies, and it, there's a lot of like black light there. It's 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 a little little goofyish, and it's a very '80s moment. But I like that minute and a half or whatever it is while Laughlin's dying. I thought that the mood and the timing of the music for that scene were some of the best in the whole movie. I I, I kind of wish the whole movie had been filmed with that tone. I think it would have been even better. Mm. But I like that moment. After that, Ben gets kind of confronted with Killian through a video monitor, right? And Killian recognizes that Ben is, like, not to be fucked with. Like, he is a little bit too good (laughs) to be a running man. So he offers him a job. He says, all right, why don't you come and be a stalker? We'll take care of you. You know, you basically forget about all your crimes, air quotes. (laughs) Um, But Ben is not having it. And his reaction is one of the funniest things in cinema. (laughs) Listen very carefully, man. How would you like a three-year contract guaranteed, a cadre credit line, and a beachfront condo? 
sound impossible? Ben is a standard deal for a network stalker. And I know real talent when I see it, Ben. And I just hate to see you get canceled tonight when you could go the distance. Say the word, Ben. You can be the one doing the stalking. What do you think? You cold-blooded bastard. I'll tell you what I think of it. I live to see you eat that contract. But I hope you leave enough room for my fist because I'm going to ram it into your stomach and break your goddamn spine! Ah! Before that, like, I like how he says, or Killian says that he offers the bare minimum deal for a three-year contract for a stalker to him. He's like, that's the minimum deal. You get whatever the pay is, whatever the benefits are, the place to live, the vacations or whatever. He's like, this guy just killed two stalkers and sent the other one away in his whitey tidies. Like so you, you, took- you should be like throwing the whole entire purse at this guy right nice. now. It's clearly it, it, not Vince McMahon. But clearly. see, you took that differently than I did. Maybe you did Corey too. Cause but, but Killian comes on. He, what he, he cause he, he says, he says, you're going to get a credit line and you're going to get a beachfront condo and you're going to get all the, and, and from my perspective, the way he was saying it was, this is just the minimum you're, you're going to get. Like, this is just the least amount that you'll get. Like, you're going to get all of this crap that I just said. And then they'll, they'll, they'll end up being more on top of it. So I hadn't, I hadn't thought about it the other way. I, yeah, I can see what you're saying, though. Because that that was my takeaway. Even now, I'm going to disagree. I, I still think that's my takeaway, that Killian was supposed to be saying that, like, here's all this shit, and that's just where we're going to start. But I can see the other way as well. Absolutely. So since Ben won't join him, they got to send another stalker, and they send out <laughs> the guy that we've been, like Jonathan mentioned, we've kind of been seeing him here and there, Fireball. <laughs> oh, you, you missed the we missed that throwaway line that you were going to talk about. I was going to edit it in. Oh, got it. All right. Yeah. So if anybody's ever like remembers the old stupid like phone boards from E-Bombs World back in the day, the Arnold ones. Who are you? Well, who are you? I'm Detective John Kimball. Hey, this is a motel. I'm a cop, you idiot. I'm Detective John Kimball. Well, if you're a cop, you idiot, come over here and talk to me, okay? You son of a bitch. And I don't know what he does. This is a switchboard at the Gator Lodge. Stop it! I don't stop nothing, you idiot. Stop it! Did you ever mess with those? Where, like, you would like call up people and you could click on all the pre-recorded Arnold like quotes and stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was totally on there. The soundboard print yeah. calls. I love yeah, that yeah. shit. Yeah. We yeah. used to call up one of my friend's grandma all the time and like <laughs> pretend to be Arnold. <laughs> she would, God dang it. Why do you always keep calling me? Like she thought she was actually talking to somebody. <laughs> so funny. Like she was in her like late eighties, man. She had no clue. That's fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we were like, we used that line though. Like I'm going to take my fist and ram it into your stomach. <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk about fireball. Cause fireball has some pretty fucking dope artillery. He's got the flamethrower, but he also has this fucking jetpack. Yeah. And the jetpack effect in this movie, man, I don't hate it. Like that's pretty fucking cool. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, yeah. There are times when you can see him elevating and it's full body. Right. And you know there's some good wire work there that they yeah. they removed pretty seamlessly. I mean that was what was this thing like a steam powered jetpack or something? Yeah, you gotta <laughs> shovel coal in the back. <laughs> well, I thought it was supposed to be powered by the same fuel source that powered the, the flamethrower. No, it is. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Like, I know, but like all you see is like the 
I don't know, like a white yeah, smoke <laughs> coming out of it. Like it almost looked like steam rather, or like a fog machine oh, rather than like actually burning flames, yeah. you know? <laughs> Otherwise his feet would just be like marshmallows or something. Yeah, 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 that's true. <laughs> uh, but he's pretty fucking epic. He confronts Ben, and I like Ben's like defense against him. He pulls like the Donkey Kong. He just starts chucking, <laughs> chucking barrels, barrels at him, him right? <laughs> and tries to blow him up. Which is, I, I, I think he gets caught in an explosion. Ben pours fuel all over the floor, and Dynamo lights it up, or Fireball, I mean, lights it up by accident. Like, I guess you're supposed to believe that he's wearing, like, a flame-resistant suit, and the suit protected his body, which, okay, I'd buy it, maybe. But, like, the one part that always bothered me a little bit about that is his face is totally uncovered. And, like, if you've ever been anywhere near a large fire, like, I've once on the freeway, just by incident, I, I ended up having to drive past a vehicle that was pulled over into the shoulder and on fire. It was a Ford Ranger pickup truck. It, it was all lit up. And that we, we weren't very close, but we had to go past it. And even from, even from 40 or 50 feet away, inside my car, on a 102-degree day, with the air conditioning on full blast, I could feel my car suddenly warm up by 10 degrees when I drove past the car. So, like, if fire blows up, on your face like that. It's, there's no way it wouldn't have burned him. He should have come out of the fire with like his face all fucked up. That would have been way cooler if it was like his face was all burned and messed up and he's fighting anyway. Like, well, that is how he goes out, right? Yeah, eventually, yeah. Like Arnold manages to pull a fuel line off his jetpack and then ignite it. So it just kind of disintegrates his whole body. Yeah. I love it. That part was cool. I like that. He gives him a light. Right? Well, where, where he ends up dying is where Amber found Whitman, Price, and Haddad, who were supposedly those three winners, yes. right? In that locker room. And then that's where Fireball ends up getting blown up by the flare. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. obvious. I think it was kind of fitting. Yeah, I like that, right? And I think pretty obvious he was the one that probably killed them. And yeah, as so you discover that, like, those the three people you saw on the tropical island in the video earlier... They never won. They never went anymore. They were killed somewhere in the game zone, and, and Killian claimed that they'd won as a way of sort of propagandizing people into believing that you could win. You know? Yeah, and it's so weird how she just finds their, like, rotting corpses. Right. Know? It's not like she finds, like, evidence of where they dispose of the bodies. They just, like, toss their corpses in this, like, abandoned locker room. Right. Yeah, that was a little weird. It might have been better if if she'd come across some kind of like mass grave and realized that that's where they were dumping all the dead contestants. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I I got the vibe that they like just never found them within the four hundred blocks, <laughs> and they just died there. Oh, that's like, a good one because they were they were sent in as a crew, like Richards was, you know. And I think that they just I, well, I don't know. They yeah, you could be right about that. They hit out and ended up dying there right. on their own. I mean, cause they didn't like look that fucked up. Like they were just <laughs> casual. Like one of them, I mean, yeah, they were rotting corpses. Like they were almost mummified, you know, but like one of them was just sitting in the corner of the lockers. One was laying down like on a cot right. and, and then the other one was sitting on the opposing wall. It's like, they just died right. of hunger sitting like, there. It wasn't like the head was next to one of them or anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think they just like assumed that or, or portrayed that they won because they could never find them. I believe that it's not bad. Yeah. Well, Captain Freedom is up next, Jonathan. Oh, yeah. This is my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> Jesse the body with hair. With hair? Yeah. How does that go? You know, it was kind of, like, cool to see the frustrations that he had with the way his career had gone, right? Like, he'd been retired for some amount of time, 
from being a stalker. And he was so frustrated with just doing all of the media stuff and doing the fucking exercise videos and karate videos or whatever the hell he was doing. Right. He's like, just wanted to get back out there into the game. And it was kind of cool to see him like release that, that pent up tension that he'd had for so long. He probably just had some real shitty deal with Killian (laughs) to get out of the game 10 years prior or whatever. His gimmick is that he's like the all-American guy. Yeah. And I got some serious Hulk Hogan vibes from him, right? Like, yeah. he's like the Hulk Hogan guy. He's like their big superstar. He doesn't have any uh, really fancy gimmick other than being uh-huh. the all-American guy, I think. Maybe I, he has some, like, metal shit armor. like. Some, but, well, but that's why I like this bit, because clearly, you look at the pictures. He, there's a moment where he looks at a picture of himself from years before, and he's just wearing, like, an like a padded uniform, right? And then he comes into Killian's in, in the production room where Killian and all of them are wearing all that ridiculous silver shit and the armor. And, and he just goes off on Killian like, I'm, this is fucking ridiculous. I'm not going to do this. I don't want your fucking gimmicks. He starts pulling the armor off and just throwing it. He tells Killian, you know, I was killing people like this guy 10 years ago with my bare hands. I won't do it. And like that, I, they, it, the frustrating part is they build him up the whole movie and then there's never actually a real fight between his character and Ben. Right, it, he should be the big boss. He should be the big boss. And the two of them never actually, like, really, really fight with each other. But I did like that, where, where Killian clearly wants to throw him back in because they've got no choice, and he wants him to gimmick up like the other guys. And and he actually has some integrity about it. He's like, I'm not going to fucking do this. I'm not going to go into the ring like this. I'd rather just leave. Forget it, Killian. I won't do it. It's not a request, moron. It's an order. I don't need this crap. This stuff is garbage. I I was killing guys like this 10 years ago with my bare hands. I'm not going for any of these tricks. This is a sport of death and honor. Code of the gladiators. Cap, will you spare me the combat zens? Do you think he's also scared? Maybe a little bit. I'd believe that. Maybe a little bit. Yeah. That was always my impression right. when I was younger. It was like, ah, he doesn't want to fuck with Arnold. Dude. Right. I think, all his friends get killed. <laughs> I think you're probably right. I think you're, but I, I, I do think that was supposed to be at least, at least partly that character's integrity moment where he was like, I'm not going to do it like this. This is fucking stupid. You know what I got was, um, I got vibes from, uh, Homelander from the boys, yes. you know, like where you have this guy who's this, this PR magnet, you know, like he's just the head of, of, of the face of this organization and they have this image that they're supposed to uphold and they're just tormented by their own inner shit. And he needed to get out and do something to release that (laughs) man. Homelander. Imagine if he would, man, he would love this shit. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. I want to see a Homelander versus Ion man crossover. Homelander Homelander is like from invincible. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Omni-Man? Yeah, Omni- oh, that's what it, Omni, I said Ion. Yeah, Omni-Man. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get you, though. All right. I feel like Homelander is just like American version of Kano. <laughs> <laughs> Kano? Yeah, laser eyes, dude. Come on. <laughs> All right, so Captain Freedom won't go, so basically they do a deep fake, right? They do an early deep yeah. fake. Yeah. Which is very clever and really speaks to the level of propaganda that these people are being fed. They They... They have Captain Freedom go into a ring and kill a stunt double. They, they stage a fight, and then they use wire models and and uh, some refacing technology to make it look like uh, Captain Freedom fought Ben in a ring and uh, Amber as well and killed the two of them. 
and that's what gets shown to the audience. So the audience believes that Captain Freedom finally showed up and just killed the two of them. But this fight didn't actually ever happen. It's all it's all fake. Right. It's a bad idea. Right. They should kill him first before doing that. Yeah, that's it's like the guy's not actually dead. You have no idea what's going to happen with him. (laughs) But at this time, they didn't even know where he was, though, because the resistance captured Richards and and Mendez and brought them into their their realm, I guess, which at some point connects up with the, the game. Yeah, they've got a little hideout down there, and Richards is angry at first, and he says, you know, why didn't you come help us sooner? But Mick points out that, like, if we'd come out into the game, they would have known we were hiding down here. We had to wait until you were close enough to be able to grab you without the network noticing. But that's that's when also uh, Amber tells them that, that Weiss gave her the codes and that they found the uplink, and they now know how to how to get to it. She also reveals... This, this moment always bothered me a little bit. She also reveals that she has the the tape footage of what actually happened with Ben and Bakersfield so that they can exonerate him. And Ben makes a little joke out of it and says, where have you been hiding that? She basically says, mind your own business. But like when they found her in the security office, she clearly had to change her clothes because she's in a jumpsuit when they send her into the game. Like how did she have time to hide it anywhere? They would have found it on her. I don't, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> you don't think she had time to quickly... I don't put it in her. Yeah. I mean, and like, I I guess they want you to believe that she did, but like, if you watch the scene where she's in the office, she goes into the office, she opens the filing cabinet, she finds the file she's looking for. And that's when she gets walked in on. So like, when did you, when was the moment you did it? (laughs) Like, I don't, I don't get it. All right. (laughs) Yeah. Fair enough. So after Ben Richards and, Amber find the people's network here. They uh, <laughs> they do broadcast the truth eventually. They, they they basically have an uprising, right, Jonathan? Like there's a revolution happening, and uh, you know they're gonna be able to tell people what's really going on. Yeah. So the the resistance obviously has a bunch of uh, illegal arms and and weapons and stuff, and and they go back into the studio because um, obviously they're connected up to the game, so they can make their way back in. Killian thinks the show's over. They're, he's so happy because they're up nine points. And the video comes out. We see everything. The truth is revealed. And Richards comes back in to take vengeance on Killian. Right. I told you I'd be back. Yeah. Right. It was actually part. It wasn't just something they threw in. You know, he <laughs> <laughs> He really meant it, Steve. He did really mean it. It's the, the best part of the original Terminator. He tells the police guy at the desk, I'll be back. And then 30 seconds later, drives a car through the front of the police station. I do love that. <laughs> Dynamo, though, he's not dead. And he finds Amber, like, backstage during their little uprising. She's yeah. by herself. And he gets pretty rapey with her. Yeah, I mean, to the point where he's got his pants down in the middle of a network corridor and is just going to try to rape her right there. Like, that's fucking crazy. Yeah, that's wild, for sure. <laughs> he's got all that stupid fucking Christmas light shit on him, and uh, he eventually gets taken out like Colonel Chi from <laughs> Surf Ninjas, where, like, he gets wet, so he just, like, gets electrocuted. I guess you can't get wet with all that stuff on. That's a major weakness. Yeah, it seems really odd that, like, You'd think that durability would be an issue with somebody whose profession is hunting other human beings. So, like, why give him a rig that might electrocute him to death if it gets wet? But that's how it works. I mean, the show was already (laughs) over. Why was he still wearing it anyways? Yeah, it's true. He should be off by then. I mean, clearly he was just wearing sweats underneath anyway. Right? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I don't know, dude. I I really didn't enjoy that scene. I don't 
I didn't like the death. I didn't like the rapey scene. I don't think it was necessary in the movie at all. Uh, that I, movie could do just fine without that being in there at all. Yeah. Yeah, I feel you. Yeah, not necessary. So Ben Richards finally confronts Killian, doesn't he, Steve? Yeah, he finally confronts Killian, and, and Killian basically says, you know, you shouldn't take this so personally. It's just, just business. It's what we do. You know, and I'll, I'll, I'll make it worth your while, more or less, if you let me live. But then Killian sees his personal security guard slash bodyguard come in, and he's this giant motherfucking guy. Dude, it's LeFours from Mallrats. Yeah, exactly. And his name is Fen Ol Thor- Thorsten. He's Danish. He's a stuntman, a bodybuilder, a strongman. I want to talk about this guy for just a second before we finish the story. He won Denmark's Strongest Man in 1983. This dude has been in so many fucking movies. It is ridiculous. He has also been in either... He's been a, st- a stuntman in a lot of them, so you didn't always see his face. But he's either acted in or been a stuntman in virtually every movie Schwarzenegger has ever been in. This isn't even the full list. Both Conan movies, Red Sonja, Raw Deal, Predator, Red Heat, Twins, Total Recall, Eraser, Jingle All the Way, Terminator 2, End of Days, and Collateral Damage. He was in all of them in some way. He also worked in the Lethal Weapon films, Ghostbusters 2, The Hunt for Red October, Death Becomes Her, Bram Stoker's Dracula, Hard Target, Dragon the Bruce Lee Story, The Quick and the Dead, Mallrats, Heat, Batman and Robin, George of the Jungle, Gladiator, and this is a fraction of this dude's resume. He's been in like a hundred and some odd films in one way or another. So anyway... He's a giant motherfucker. He comes into the scene. Killian thinks this dude's going to save my ass from Ben Richards. Unfortunately, Killian insulted him earlier by, by implying that the steroids he's taking have made him deaf. And uh, so Sven looks at Killian and then looks at Richards and says, I need to go score some steroids and just leaves the room. So Ben is then free to load Killian into one of those launch enclosure go-kart fucking thingies that, that takes them down through the tunnel into the game stage. And um, and launches him, and this turns out to be to be the end of Killian. Right, he just gets sent to the mob, basically. Right? <laughs> yes. Well, he, they don't really explain how it's possible that with Killian things worked this way, but he launches the little the little cart thingy, and you know when when Schwarzenegger, when Ben and 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 Weiss and Laughlin went through, at the other end they just kind of got dropped into the arena, and instead Killian gets launched out of the other end of this tube into a soda ad that's got him on it. And uh, he just sort of explodes. The whole the whole thing just sort of blows up. So Killian dies in this explosion um, at the end. That's the end of him. Yeah. <laughs> Goodbye, Richard Dawson. Goodbye, Richard Dawson. Yeah, too bad. He was a good character. Bad, bad, bad character, but good See character. See you in hell. Right? The, the end of this movie is some of the cringiest shit I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> The movie ends with Ben and Amber. They meet up again on the stage. He kisses her, and some fucking atrocious 80s rock ballad plays. Yeah, credits. That ain't a good ending. Now, look, I got a lot of good things to say about this movie, but that ending... I fucking hate it. It's kind of the ending you'd expect, I think. It's a very 80s action movie ending. It's not great, but I also don't hate it. Like, it's okay if you hate it, but I, I don't I don't like it, but I also don't hate it. Well, thank you, Steve. Uh, yeah. I appreciate you letting me have <laughs> <Right>? this one. <laughs> 
it, it would have been okay to not have a romance ending there. Yeah. Like, it would have been cool to just see them, like, you know, in the resistance, like, bar somewhere. They could have like, done the high five or something, they did you know? after Sub Zero was killed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Or maybe they could have, like, you know, got their. Their multi passes reinstated. Yeah. <laughs> Gone to Hawaii. Yeah, Lilu shows up. Yeah, hands him out. That's it. Exactly. They could have taken a flight to Thorsten Paradise. Now, the movie ends, but Steve, there is uh, some dialogue after the credits that you pointed out to me, isn't there? Yeah, I like this part. So you know, they've they've got the guy. The whole show. There's a guy who does the the VO, the announcing for the game show, and he introduces all of the. The stalkers when they come in, and there's a moment where he's he's narrating a uh, a sort of um, memorial to Sub Zero after he's murdered, and the other guys too. And uh, during during Buzzsaw's introduction, he talks about how special these saws are that Buzzsaw uses. And during the last like 20 seconds of the credits, right at the very very end, you get an additional piece of his VO, and it's supposed to be like at the end of a game show where he talks about who furnished all the wardrobe and who furnished Buzzsaw's chainsaws, and it's just this last little like like touch that we know everything went horribly, but we still want you to know that here are the brands you should be buying. The Running Man has been brought to you by Breakaway Paramilitary Uniforms, Orthopure Pure Procreation Pills, and Cadre Cola. It hits the spot. Promotional considerations paid for by Kelton Flamethrowers, Wainwright Electrical Launchers, and Hammond and Gates Chainsaws. Damon Gilligan's Wardrobe by Chez Antoine, 19th century craftsmanship for the 21st century man. Cadre Trooper and Studio Guard sidearms provided by Colchester, the Pistol of Patriots. Remember, tickets for the ICS Studio Tour are always available for Class A citizens in good standing. If you'd like to be a contestant on The Running Man, send a self-addressed stamped envelope to ICS Talent Hunt, care of your local affiliate, and then go out and do something really despicable. I'm Phil Hilton. Good night and take care. Right. <laughs> like, it's a very 80s thing. They have contracts to fulfill. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, Killian's wardrobe provided by whoever it was. <laughs> right. Which is kind of somewhat contradictory to like the anti capitalism nature of the society they yeah. live in. But that's okay. Well, because they're all under the cadre tree. Like, right. I'm sure all the brands are cadre. owned by cadre. Cadre yeah. soda. Yeah. yeah. Cadre cola. Cadre cola. The cola is right. Yeah. yeah. Some good shit. That's pretty much how the movie ends. Do we have any final thoughts about the movie before we go into ratings, Steve? Boy, we covered the fact that Paul Abdul did the music. Uh, the building they use as the ICS television network, the pyramid-like building, was actually part of what used to be called the Filmland Corporate Center here in Los Angeles. That building, well, the part of it that's real, is actually, was actually Metro Golden Mayor's offices in 1987. They did sort of the same thing that they did to get the OCP headquarters in Robocop, where they took a building that was already big and impressive looking and then added a matte painting to it in, in post-production to make it look bigger. So that was partly a real building. What else? It's been renamed since then. I think that's pretty much it. We covered covered about all everything else I know about it. Awesome. So let's do ratings. Jonathan, on any rating scale you want, how are you going to rate The Running Man? Oh, man. So it's going to be a hard yes for me, for sure. Okay. It's everything that I expect from an 80s Arnold movie. It really is. It's it's action. It's blood. It's guts. It's 
stupid cheesy one-liners the predictions of what the future is going to be like were were on point and i loved that it was kind of you know coincidental with the times right now he gets the hot chick in the end i always have a, a soft spot for like what the 80s designers thought that the 2000s and 2010s yeah. and 2020s are going to look like you know demolition man that kind of thing right like like 20 30 years in the future i i like that when i like seeing what the designers come up with and and and, I, and i'm okay with all of this like being super cheesy um so this is the definitely the epitome of what a big dumb movie was in the 80s except to me it's not dumb and i enjoy it every time that i have seen it um and for that it's gonna get a four out of five led mohawks from me <laughs> nice well said this is a big dumb movie and it fits our podcast perfectly i think this is the kind of movie that we really started like kicking around as our first choices when we were pitching the idea of doing this podcast. Um, I'll talk more about the beginnings of this podcast someday later when we actually have a larger listener base, if we ever have a larger (laughs) listener base. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm going to give this movie 7.5 out of 10 plain zeros. (laughs) I do like this movie. I grew up on this movie. 80s action at its finest, a little bit anticlimactic, but when the movie is going with the Running Men versus the Stalkers. There's some really good shit in there. Yeah. Um, there is good practical effects in this movie, and there is good stunts. You know, you see people fall down, you see people take a hit uh, without too many cutaways, and it's just like that old style of action where, like, you know, Arnold's gonna take some hits along the way. There's obviously stunt doubles, but like, uh, there's just good moments in here. It's it's 80s cheese, and it works for that. It's it's not so cheesy that it's fucking awful to watch. It's just one of those good 80s action movies, and it is what it is. It's good. Uh, so I quite like it. <laughs> Steve, what about you? On a scale of 1 to 10 television stalkers, I'm going to give this film a rating of 8. It is not a perfect film. It's certainly not the same kind of movie that like the Godfather or once upon a time in America is, but I agree with the sentiments you guys shared. It is exactly and completely perfect at being what it is supposed to be. It didn't advertise itself as being anything more than that. I do think, especially by eighties action standards that there actually is a little bit of substance there between the lines. If you're looking for it, the ending's not, not great but not bad enough for me to really hate it, hate it. I, yeah, I think this movie, as you guys were saying, it really just embodies everything that was good about 80s action without embodying too much of the more negative sides of that. And, uh, I mean, look, I personally think the 80s is one of the greatest decades in human history. I would be perfectly happy to wake up tomorrow morning and find out that it's 1985 again. So, uh... Gross. No, no, you're wrong. I'm sorry. But, um, it, you know, this would be... This was, this was, this was awesome. <laughs> I like. I enjoy. I always enjoy watching this movie. Take what Steve said, but make it 1995. 1995 is also on my list. The 90s is one of the other great decades. But you you got to have them both. You got them both together. You got to have the 80s and the, the 80s and the 90s are a diametric pair. They belong together. They need each other. They suckle from each other. They are a necessary duality. <laughs> the 80s is the Joker. The 90s is Batman. That's one way to look at it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm going to do something that I should do more often. I apologize to you listeners that I don't as often. I'm going to read some of our iTunes reviews 
If you guys like this podcast, you can leave us an Apple podcast or iTunes review. These are some of the ones we've got. Uh, this one came in a day after Christmas 2020, so a few months back. This is from George B. 1981. The title is New Listener. I already forgot how I came across your podcast two weeks ago, but I can't stop listening. It's awesome and funny. Hopefully you are all well after potentially watching Wonder Woman 1984. So this was written a few days after Wonder Woman 1984 came out, which I did watch and I was not well after watching, I just gotta say. I refuse to watch it. I still haven't seen it. I, I haven't. I didn't hear anything. I didn't hear one thing even remotely positive about it from anyone. I didn't meet a single person who liked it. No, it's not good. All right, the next one came in more recently from Ferdy Cody. Big Dumb Review. These are both five-star Apple Podcast reviews, by the way. Sick. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Love this podcast. Entertainment at its best when reviewing some of these classic films. Thank you, guys. Short and sweet. You're welcome. Very awesome that this person and the last person wrote these reviews. These things help us a lot, and you know what? I appreciate it a lot. I want to get better at reading your positive feedback on the air, not just the negative stuff. <laughs> uh, if you guys want to write in, you can also email us, bigdumbmovie at gmail.com, but this helps as well. And for those of you listeners that use Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever it is, subscribe to us on YouTube, even if you don't listen to us there. If you do the notification bell, it's a good way to get notified when we have a new episode so you don't have to keep checking your podcast app. Also, you can give us thumbs up there on our YouTube videos, which helps us a lot. The more thumbs up and comments we get, the more people will find us on YouTube and the more listeners we can have, the more podcasts we can do, hopefully. So thank you guys very much. This has been a fun episode. Thank you, Jonathan and Steve, for coming over. I like having this uh, solely big, dumb movie crew here for a nice change. You know, it's been a while since the three of us have done a podcast. I told so thank you to call me Snake. <laughs> Sorry, Snake. <laughs> Tons of fun, as always. Thank you for uh, having me. Yeah, it's been nice. It's a good episode. Thank you, everyone. And thank you guys for listening. We love you. Good night.
Corey, you must be super excited for the new Netflix uh, Sailor Moon series. <laughs> Sailor Moon? Yeah. I'll fap to that. <laughs> <laughs> he said with his wife 20 feet away. I already did. <laughs> <laughs> to the previous. Right. <laughs> you know what was surprisingly good, dude? So the good. Mighty Ducks series on Disney Plus is good. I haven't actually watched it. It is good. Yeah. yeah. All right. I, I have, not because I think they're bad. I'm not saying they're bad, but I have a difficult time with the Mighty Ducks franchise because I, I, I really, really, really liked them as a kid when they when they first came out, partly because I played ice hockey growing up. But as an adult, they just don't, they don't click with me as much. And, I, and it makes me feel a little bad that I don't enjoy them on the same level now that I did when they were new. So I don't know. I don't know if I, I'll try the series. I believe it's good. The series but, is good. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it, it's one of those good all ages right. um, shows or like movies, which I generally don't like. And I have a hard time. Right. Like, like to me, that's high praise. If I say it's like a good all ages thing, because usually if something's like all ages, it, it's good for kids or right. it's just bad. Right. What's the name? Of that actress, she was also in. Uh, shit, what's the name of that one? She was in the, the movie based on the Anne Rice book with Aaliyah, Queen of the Damned. Queen oh of yeah, you're talking about. And she was also Hot American Summer. Yeah, yeah, and she was when she was like 14. She was in uh, one of the two or three. Many that she was like the only girl yeah, on the team. I don't remember, but she's a babe. Yeah, I man, growing up, I had such a thing for her. Wow. Yeah. Me too, especially in Queen, Queen of the Dam. Yeah, yeah, that was that was really the the primo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Have you ever seen Queen of the Dam, Jonathan? Long time ago. It's so two thousand. It is. It? Yeah. Yeah. it is. And, and you know they messed it up. They they it was really like three of Anne Rice's books shoved into one script, and then they they messed it up even more beyond that. But yeah, it was very much. I think I I will still watch it and sort of enjoy it just because it it's that like two thousand nostalgia. There's something very stamped about it there yeah I, I, me and jonathan are in some of these groups by the way did you see that the 2000s 80s 90s 2000s group is gone no i, I kind of didn't really notice it i haven't spent a bunch it's of time been sucked yeah it's, it's removed it's i only noticed because i oh, i've tried to find it oh, so sucks. i joined some other similar ones but yeah. if you in on facebook if right. you are in any of those kind of nostalgia groups and you say what, what's the movie with the best soundtrack right a ton of people will say queen of the damned it's a good soundtrack the, the, the rock I, music I, they wrote for Lestat's band is a little little corny. I mean, it's it's corn. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's corn songs. <laughs> well, of course right. it's corny. It's corny <laughs> and with a K, absolutely. Yeah, exactly, with a backwards R. Yeah. <laughs> Man, Jonathan Davis. Do you remember the rumors of when we were kids of, like, how they got their name? Yes, dude. <laughs> Me and Jonathan used to talk. Do you know the I don't know that one. The I know. schoolyard rumor. I want to see if you remember exactly what that schoolyard. The schoolyard rumor was how corn got its name. The band corn was at a gay bar, (laughs) and in the gay bar, one gay man was licking the butthole of another gay man. Okay, just do that in a gay bar. Yeah, it just happens all the time. That's how the gays are. Yeah, apparently. And uh, one of the the guy had a piece of corn on his lip when doing that. And then the band corn were like, "That's what we should name our rock band." I, yeah, I, somehow I don't believe that story is true. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I suspect that might be bullshit. Right. I had always <laughs> thought it was Jonathan Davis that like got trashed one night and ended up in the gay bar. 
and he's the one that ended up with a piece of corn on his lip. Oh, okay. So it was like the telephone <laughs> game. Like it changed. Like yeah. he's the one. Every person to person. Yeah. yeah. Was it was him, and then the the guy, the guy was Monkey, the guitarist. Yeah, exactly. What was there was a they were like a pseudo punk band, and it, their name had a number in it. Now I can't remember the name of the band, but the rumor was they'd chosen the name because it it lined up with the letters KKK. Three eleven. Three eleven. Thank you. Yeah. They were not a punk band. By yeah, the way. they weren't. They weren't really. But they were like pop, poppy, rocky. Yeah, they were fake like, punk bullshit. They were like a post grunge alternative <laughs> rock band. Yeah, there you yeah, go. Yeah, they were in like a weird transitional period right. of the early nineties to mid nineties. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the supposedly they were Klansmen. Mm-hmm. They, they were like nothing like clans guys. Like they're they're all like, like they were like beach bums. Dude. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like like if they were even if they were white power, they wouldn't be like in the clan. Like, right. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> That's they're like not from the south or anything. Right. Man, they might have been Silver Strand locals. I don't know. Yeah, they might have been SSL. <laughs> Dude, I had no idea about that until a friend of mine moved to Oxnard. It's like 15, 18 years ago already. But I, I, he told me he was living near Silver Strand Beach, and I'd never heard of it. And I was like, man, that sounds really fucking nice. And he's like, no, nah, it's full of Nazis. <laughs> yeah. Debatably. Debatably. I mean, yeah, that a a lot of my friends lived in Silver Strand, and they weren't Nazis. Right. So if you repped SSL, then you were probably. <laughs> that way but there were a lot of people that lived in Silver Strand that are not that way and there's a, a pretty diverse community there and it's actually a really nice place yeah it sounds nice yeah. exactly yeah. my teacher Mr. Schubert lived there and he was Jewish so nice. he definitely was not a Nazi you don't think I'm pretty so? sure not yeah he had a Star of David necklace <laughs> he was by far the worst teacher I've ever had in my fucking life <laughs> he, uh, he, he gave packets that's all he did so oh, he gave yeah. packets and he would sit in front of the class, literally do nothing, just watching you, just sitting in front watching you. It's not like he would go read the paper. He wouldn't do other things. He would just watch the class attentively and do nothing while we a, worked on packets. That I was had a health teacher ninth grade year who was a little like that. Well, but in, he, the disinterest level was, was sort of the same, but he would come and go from the room and he had we, the room had a storage closet. He'd go in and out of the storage closet. There was a rumor for years that he was hiding Playboys in there and he would disappear for 15 or 20 minutes during class to just look at them because he was kind of a he weird dude. He had a vestigial sure. third nipple that he would show to students. I swear to God. Like he was – and, and other The pe- 90s were a different time. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean and this was – this was my freshman year of high school was uh, nine, 98. 98. So it was already late 90s. I mean, you know, like yeah, that was, that was weird. He was a weird guy. You can't do, do you? that now, no. for sure. No, no. Can't be showing someone I'm your nipples. Pretty sure, even no. at the time, if I'd gone home and told my parents that he'd done that, I, they, they wouldn't have been real happy about it. But yeah, you know, I didn't say. I, anything. I mean, I had. I remember I did have a couple of male teachers that changed their shirt in front of the class when I was in middle school. Not <laughs> like just because they were, they needed to for whatever. One of them was about to do a karate demo. <laughs> karate <laughs> demo. I love it. I know it's weird, but <laughs> did you guys ever have? Like a snake person come to your school? No. Not me. Do you, no. do you remember that? No, they didn't bring snakes dogs. Oh, they got stolen. <laughs> right? What, one of my schools had a, a like a pro, like a real, like one of the guys who would normally appear on a talk show. And uh, he had a, a big truck with, you know, the, the cages and stuff in it. And he had like 30 different varieties of snake in there. And he took them out and showed them to students. And we weren't allowed to touch most of them, but it was cool. We, we had the yo-yo thing in eighth oh, grade. Oh, yes. I remember that. Absolutely. Fifth grade also. It was in fifth grade too? Yeah. At Parkview, fifth grade, because I bought the yo-yo, the brain, the (laughs) Yo-Mega brain. Yes. 
Well, do you remember? Did they have the yo-yo guy come in and do a demo? Yeah, they did. Yeah. Okay. In Dude, the cafeteria, up on stage. The weirdest. The cafetorium. Thing? I don't remember those. I would always just try to find Michelle Arbazu and just stare at her whenever <laughs> we had a. Oh yeah. <laughs> whenever we had someone come in for a. Yeah. Oh man. I had a couple of those girls. I know. Dude, exactly I'm gonna find my old yeah. yearbook. She's probably in there. <laughs> okay. The problem with looking I don't back, have them. No, you know, I and I've I've tried this once or twice. The problem with looking back, if you were, especially if you were younger than high school age at the time, is you look in these these yearbooks and it's like these are these are little kids. Like it doesn't, it's not the same anymore. You're just looking at children. Right. right? No, I'm not <laughs> well, saying we're gonna jerk off to it. No, no, I know, but <laughs> like you know, it's just like it's now I can't even think about how hot I thought she was when I was 12 because now I'm looking at her, I just see a 12 year old. Like, well, it's like. I mean, I, I don't have that many yearbooks, but people always look funny when I go back and look at them. It's I'm like, true. wow, that person is very strange looking. <laughs> right. I, Usually like my guy friends, you know, they got like right? stupid hair and shit. Yeah, that happens a lot. And teenagers have rubber face. You don't, you know, you don't look like you're going to look normally at that age. Rubber yeah. face. <laughs> they got pizza face. Pizza face too. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Do you remember a bad teacher that we had? I don't know if this was ever true. Okay, so... Uh, but we were in sixth grade. This there is going was, on the air, by the way. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is better than what else I was Mrs. Tildy? Talk about. No, no. This was a man. He was a teacher. His name was, you could probably bleep it out if you want, but nah. Mr. Gajardo. And there was a rumor that he touched the breast of a sixth, of a sixth grader. Oh, that Ooh. sounds vaguely familiar. And all of a sudden... And then, like, we had, like, a... Because we had a group PE. Like, sixth grade was separated from seventh and eighth, right? So we had, like, our own area, right? We had, like, a big group PE thing. And there was one girl, this girl that was... He rumored to have touched her. Who was it? Was it someone we knew and were friends with? Yeah, I don't really want to put her name out there. (laughs) I'm friends with her still, so I don't really want to put the name out Oh, find out. Get the... Anyway, go on. But, anyways. But he, like, made her do jumping jacks in front of all the, like students in the whole sixth grade like we were doing like this massive group pe thing and she was very very developed at the time for her age oh like, no ridiculously that developed. really happened yeah well now i if you don't want to answer it's totally fine i'm just asking out of curiosity yeah. since you still talk to her she's an adult now what is, does she does she contend now that he touched her i don't I don't think that anybody brings the subject up. Oh, I see. Okay, and she's yeah. a she's a um, uh, a child of Christ now. Right. And, okay. And it's not she, gonna. Yeah. Yeah. It's I not care. not something that I would. No, bring of course up. not. Yeah. Man, this bonus material on the podcast took a dark turn. <laughs> right. Yeah. Did you catch? Well, we were just talking about bad teachers. Right. <laughs> that's a pretty shitty one. I'm gonna go totally. Yeah, that's direction. a good example, I guess. <laughs> Did if you, it's true, Mrs. King was cool. Mrs. King was cool as shit. Yeah. And we made her cry. <laughs> Uh-huh. We did? Yeah. Because we bought her a gift at the end of the year. Uh-huh. All the whole class pitched oh, in and we, we got bought her this. It was a Mickey Mouse watch because Mickey Mouse is her favorite thing in the world. <laughs> Can and you we adjust her like slightly more inward? Yeah. There you go. So we bought her a watch. And we all, well, everybody in the class pulled together and somehow between 30 students, we came up with 60 bucks <laughs> and bought Very her a watch. surprising actually. Yeah. <laughs> I think everybody just like didn't eat lunch for that day or yeah, something and yeah. gave our lunch money. That's nice. Yeah. Man. She was cool. Yeah, I Hell think yeah. everyone growing up had at least one of those teachers. I don't, like, Miss Russell, I remember from me, was that teacher, you know. I, I, that, those are good memories. Uh, Mrs. Kildee was evil, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, everyone had one of those, too. Oh, remember, remember Miss Holyoke? 
No. Oh, dude. She, it was rumored to have hit a kid in the head with a dictionary. <laughs> wow. Dude, because she was so pissed off. Like one of those shithead kids at school, you know, and like he was just mouthing off to her and she like smacked him in the head with a dictionary. I had a. And so after that, we called her Miss Holy Smokes. Right? <laughs> wow, She yeah. was fourth grade. You and I were in Mrs. McDermott's class. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Fifth grade. Fourth. No, no. Fourth grade, I went to a different school. Oh. Yeah. Fifth grade, we were in Mrs. Stewart. There it is. So that's why you didn't know Miss Holyoke. She was on the other side. She was on the class back-to-back with us. Okay. Yeah, but the littler kids were. Yeah. Fourth grade. Yeah. I still remember the layout of that elementary school, like the back of my hand, though. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You think about where all the little nooks and crannies were, all the corners where you hid to do something, and absolutely... Hid to do what, Steve? <laughs> well, you know, sometimes sometimes one of the, the female classmates wants to play doctor or something. You know, you got to go around a corner. <laughs> that, was, that was one of my favorites. <laughs> but, you know. Well, usually it. we were hiding to play Pogs or something. I did a lot of that, too. You know, and they, they banned the comic book trading cards. At one point, at one of the schools I was going to, they were like, nobody can bring these anymore because there were instances. X-Men cards, yeah. Yeah, because kids were trading them, and there were a few instances where kids two days later had traitors remorse and were like I want my cards back and it turned into fights and they were like no so we had to do that in secret after a while yeah and the <laughs> pogs because it was considered gambling yeah yeah that one man I, I found it's because my mother brought them up oddly enough I was talking to her on the phone two nights ago she's like do you remember pogs so like, I fucking still have my pogs of course I do so I pulled them out of pulled them out of a container looking I have metal slammers those things yeah you sent me a picture right oh, that's right that's <laughs> right yeah you know and I have a bunch of the other ones that have the Marvel characters on them and, and yeah the, the, those the, no one would let me play with those you know I, w- I thought it was the coolest thing in the world and I would take it out of the case and people would be like you have a fucking metal slammer I'm like fuck yeah I do and they're like well you can't play with that it's, it's not fair like no, that's why I bought it. Me and Shane were like, it was like a dick measuring contest. <laughs> like we got yeah. who could get the biggest slammer. So we both found these ones. We got we both got them, and they were like metal, and they were like this thick. Yeah. They were not playable. No, it was just this huge chunk of metal. All they did was like dent the top of the pot. Yes, yeah. exactly. You just mess up all your pucks. They were supposed to be made out of like milk carton material, and you got these big metal pieces. <laughs> There's this like certain kind of plastic. There, there was this just like one slammer. I remember it. Mine had like a pirate on it. Yeah. And it was like this. It was like the perfect width, the perfect weight. It was semi lightweight that would just like destroy in pogs. Dude. It was like the unstoppable slammer. The fancy ones, like the ones with the razors around the edge, those don't really work. No. Man, I they just looked cool. I might have one. It didn't have the same picture on it, but I might have one exactly like what you're talking about. I think I know what you mean. Dude, uh, we need to just do like a pog tournament. Let's we hold, do. Let's hold it. <laughs> hold a pog tournament somewhere. <laughs> Uh, Man. You know what? Rent that, out a venue. That that's funny that you say stuff like this because there could be like a like a discovery zone kind of place open for millennial adults. Yeah. And they could bring their kids too, but just yeah. like with nineties nostalgia. Could you imagine everywhere? like you go up to, and you're just like you have N sixty four pods over here. Oh my and god. And you have like SNES over here. Oh yeah. And like, you know, cool shit like that. You can have like sixty four like Super Smash Brothers tournaments yeah. and like all kinds of shit. How far can you go in 007? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, shit, you lost. <laughs> there Later. are a small number now of, like, like boutique arcades, you know, and they're, they're not real expensive, but you can get, like, all-day play. There's there's one in, in the Canoga Park area that's closed at the moment because they're moving between locations, but it's real interesting going into them because it, it's surprising how many people I see in them that are, you know, roughly, like, 30 to 40 years old same general age range as us who like her there because of that 90s arcade nostalgia. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> a couple of them in one part of the arcade, 
like Neon Retro Arcade does this. They've got they've got like a, a GameCube with Mario Kart on it on, a, on like an 80 inch TV in one corner, as well as the old arcade cabinets. And it's amazing to me how many people will pay like per hour to sit around and play that. And they could do it in their living room at home. But I think you're right. Like, and there's an element there. It's that's the experience. Missing. It is. It is absolutely. And you can't replicate the arcade feeling uh-huh. at home. And like, I, I think you guys are right. Like, if we, if somebody expanded that had like the N64 pods and old Sega Saturns and stuff, like I'd pay to go in there. A hundred percent, I would. If I still had my Sega Genesis, I would play it. Oh, like yeah. for sure. Man, yeah. I got uh, the preloaded Sega Genesis. You know, like the fifty dollar. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. It has like. 30 games on it but it doesn't yeah. have like the games I really want yeah. right. there's nothing like the original you can just pop in a cartridge you know it doesn't have Beavis and Butthead it doesn't yeah. have Maximum Courage no. one of my favorites was Altered Beast oh that's that, a great dude? game absolutely power yes. up right <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's a really cool device you can use with real Genesis and some other continuation devices it's called uh, an EverDrive they make one for Nintendos too it's, it's a cartridge that's got a removable SD card in it you can load the SD card up with ROMs and stick it into the cart, oh, and yeah. the cart goes into the console, and then it, it allows you to load an interface, and you've got... It's the original ROM data, so it plays just like the games, but you've got all of them on one cartridge, which is really cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, Altered Beast. That was like the original like beast yeah, mode right there. Dude. That was. That was a great one. Golden Axe. Yeah. Man. Yeah, Golden Axe I have. Right. What was that game that we were talking about? Because I had Sega CD, and it was the one that made the yes. TVMA, or the, the MA rating come like, out for the game. Oh, Crypt Killer? No. no, no, no or Corpse Killer, whatever that one's called. Yeah. No, it's it the was the house. Break into the house. Yeah. Oh, oh Night Stalker. Or something? Yeah, I think that's something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was, yeah. I used to have that game, and I was a kid. I'm like six years old, seven years old, trying to play that game. I had no clue how to play. Dude, I, I, I was just going back and forth between all the security cams and seeing right? tricks in their 90s. You know? <laughs> that was part of my problem, too. It wasn't even the content of like being bad so much as when I was a kid, a lot of the games I wanted to play, I didn't realize when I was buying Night them. Trap. Night Trap. Were really meant to be for like like older kids or even adults. So my parents would buy me these games. I'd spend an hour with them and realize I had no idea how to how to play them. Like, yeah. <clears throat> good times. Yeah. Anyways, 